you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna do I'll do a f- uh, intro and everything here. Why not? Because it'll save us some time. How's that? Sure, but I'm including this part. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Brand new episode. Talk about a uh, additional episode, another special episode. The second time that we're giving you guys something extra at the end of the week on this show. And why are we feeling so good about ourselves? Why are we doing this? I don't know. Maybe it's just because we've been busting our asses and like recording as many episodes as we can get our hands on. And our backlog is pretty ridiculous. So... Every once in a while, it's like, well, let's just dump out two this week. You know, maybe we're hungry for extra clicks and views. Maybe that's what it's all about. Maybe it's just clickbait shit. I'm sure today's guest got a lot to talk about with that. I'm very excited to have him back on the show. Uh, he's always been on the show. He's been behind the scenes, but it's been a while since I've had Liam on the show. Hi, Liam. Hello. Mm-hmm. There it is. The ever charming robot. <laughs> <laughs> Very you know, I, I actually introduced myself uh, in one of my classes as a robot and I saw nods on the fucking zoom screen and I was like I, I hate this that was a joke but y'all can go fuck yourself <laughs> you know just speaking the truth Liam you know it's data it's raw data coming at you unfiltered you should like that being a robot you know <laughs> yeah so what's new, man? It's been it's been uh, quite some time since you've, we've had you on the show. For those of you who don't know, Liam has uh, relocated back to the East Coast. He has been uh, producing behind the scenes, been doing a bunch of really, uh, well, he's been doing his job really well for us, like all the uh, post-production on the show and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but you've also been, uh, you're re-enrolled in school again. So you've been fucking like, like, barely keeping your head above water with all the shit you're doing these days right yeah mostly i want to die every day but that's you know <laughs> some people think that's just being millennial other think it's being like you know uh what is it like clinically depressed as a teenager or some shit whatever either way i don't know we're having fun right <laughs> we're having fun we're we're and we're making some pretty good episodes like they're they're some pretty good ones recently yeah you uh <laughs> let's just get right to it you've sure. got a beef with my last week's special episode. I figured you would. What's your beef? Yes. What's your beef? You called me out immediately. <laughs> no, no, hold on, because I wrote this shit down. I said, Mike said I listened to the episode when he and Josh Lobo talked about film school and how they were, quote unquote, thumbs down on it. <laughs> I had a problem with it and, of course, felt that way because I am, quote unquote, indebted to film school. <laughs> That's called. That's what you call a trigger. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know what about that episode? Uh, this, this past episode that I found ingenious is that I'm like, oh, this is like a little bit of a therapy session. I understand why you've got some repressed anger about being a quote unquote number in the uh, in the system as a kid, 
And yep. you're like, oh, fuck education. Fuck this, uh, fuck school. Yeah, there could be a big piece of that in there for sure. You know, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, if I was in some sort of real therapy session and my therapist wasn't a microphone, I'm sure that they would say like, you know, Mike, it's it all stems back from uh, you just like you said, you just being a number, uh, you know, your classmates really not respecting you and uh, not really feeling special, not feeling like a special little snowflake. And uh, I would say to the uh, therapist, thank fucking God. Thank God I'm not a little special fucking snowflake. Everybody's a special fucking snowflake right now. It's okay, man. Like, you, it's okay to be upset about losing your identity as a child. <laughs> and then internalizing that and saying, fuck school, because school turned their back on me, and therefore I shall turn my back on school. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not what I was saying. What I was uh -huh. saying was... Everyone go back and listen to it and tell me that's not what you was saying. <laughs> what I was saying was, school's a business. 100% a fucking business. And it's accepted as a business. And where else? Oh, sure, when Reagan decided that it was okay for us to advertise to kids again, and we all happily ate those fucking frosted cereals and got those cartoons that were essentially just advertisements for fucking plastic dolls that ultimately end up floating in a China Sea. But yes, it's a business. And it was a business completely aimed at indebting families into a giant corporation and a tax-free fucking corporation, which is the college industry. So ultimately, that's what I was saying. And yes, there's a, there's a tone underneath there, which is like, well, you know, fuck this. But at the end of the day, dude, you know, my personal opinion aside, that's the reality of it. They're fucking business. You know this. I do, and I agree with that to an extent, but I'm like, why is this guy so got a stick so far up his ass when it comes to film school? And I learned. I learned about you, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Everybody is open. That's the best part about good art, is that it's open, <laughs> it's open to interpretation. <laughs> what I will say, what I will say, though, because I do have a legitimate criticism about that episode, uh -huh. and I brought it up to you, and you were like, "Hey, yeah, I mean, like, you know, we did a good job." I was like, "Did we though?" But, but the 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 concern is that that episode, the Josh Lobo episode, which I do think is a good episode, and I do think that we really opened up kind of a conversation there that was started there and continued last Friday. Yep, is that. Josh dropped out of school because he felt very similarly to you that he wasn't getting what he wanted out of it. Yep. And and what he wanted was more hands-on experience doing the job of directing, producing, all that stuff. Sure. However, he took his money, he created his film, and then his, his uh, conclusion was, I'm right back to where I was, but now I've got all this debt. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't sure, and he says this on the episode, which is why it stuck with me, is that he said he, he wasn't sure if it actually helped him in his career as much as he thought it would or as much as it may appear it did. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, like, literally listening to that, I, I, I kind of, because I talked to myself, I said, yeah, that's why I'm in film school. Okay, I get that. I totally get that. And that could very well be the case. I think at the risk of getting someone pissed at me, I think that uh, there's a lot more to it. Because I listened to that episode, uh, being obviously being the co uh, the host of it, 
And then afterwards was processing it with a bunch of folks that I know. And I'm not going to give any names because I don't want to have anybody else get out into this hole with me. But uh, we were talking about all these different things. And I think ultimately, if you could examine Josh's path, and I like him, he's a great dude, he's a cool guy, and I think he's going to be incredibly successful. He makes really good movies. I think that ultimately what he could potentially learn from or what we can learn from with his path is that uh, he put all his eggs in one basket and and essentially wasn't prepping the next thing, you know? And the difficulty, I think, with uh, self-financing your own flicks, and this this is why I don't have a movie out yet, okay? So my big issue is that I could if I wanted to, uh, reach out and ask a bunch of people that I know to, f- to fund a film. I could, because uh, my credit's pretty good these days, I could go into credit card debt. I could follow the path of Kevin Smith, right? And uh, max out every credit card that I possibly have to make this film. But one thing I've learned over the few, over the few years that I've been doing this is that our industry and this medium is so oversaturated. It's incredibly oversaturated with stuff. And at the end of the day, even though anybody could put something out, anybody could make anything right now. That's, that's not the problem. It's, that's not the difficulty anymore. The difficulty is, how do I get fucking people to see it? Because there's so much shit. There's so much shit, so much good shit out there that no one's really seeing. And so what I've done as a filmmaker, and this may be the death of me, But what I've done as a filmmaker is said, look, I'm only going to do a feature with people that I know are going to bring people into the fucking theater. Because at the end of the day, uh, that's all that matters. And it really freaks me out to do a movie for a streaming service as an unknown filmmaker. I'm not Scorsese. I mean, I've talked about this in other episodes. As an unknown filmmaker um, that just gets lost in the fucking queue. And there, are, I can rattle off about 10 movies that I've seen lately that are fan-fucking-tastic uh, independent films that you guys don't know shit about. And it's not because the movies aren't great. It's because the movies aren't put out by a company that spends the money or has the advertising plan that this audience base, that us as a general public, need right now. And so I think that Josh's ish, ultimately is that he put out a movie because he was like, I got to fucking do it. And this is, you've heard me get into this argument with a couple of other people on recent podcasts too. Uh, And I just did it on the iFilmmaker podcast. And I think he got a little pissed at me (laughs) for doing it, for doing it because he was like, it's just about shooting it. Go fucking shoot it. Go make it. And it's like, yeah, I get that. I totally get that. I get that on the level of like, let me go practice my craft. Let me go do a pitch film. Let me go do a proof of concept. I totally get all of that aspect of it. But the truth of the fucking matter is, is that at the end of the day, uh, no one's going to give a fuck about it if you don't have an actor in it that that people give a shit about or it's put out by a company that people give a shit about. And those two things are heavily weighed on advertising. And that's what I was talking to uh, Clara about. And it's a a hard conversation to get in with her because I don't want to get her in trouble, but it's like, you know, what is the results of being a young actress 
on a top rated film on a streaming service, has that done the same thing for her that it would have done if she was in a Tarantino movie? If she was in fucking um, uh, like uh, Jackie Brown or even in his first movie, Reservoir Dogs, before Tarantino was Tarantino because of the advertising, because of all that advertising that goes with it and your face being on the screen, your face being on the side of a bus and all those aspects of it. So long story short as I rant, um, I think that Josh's issue is that. I think it's just the fact that he made a great movie that was put out by a company that doesn't spend any money on advertising. And so no one knows about it. No one knows about it. And so he's dealing with the repercussions of that, which being the investor, the initial, or, or like the main investor for that film, he's taking the brunt of all those different aspects of it. Now, does that have anything to do with him not going to film school? If he had gone to film school, would that have made it any different? No. And I would also beg to argue that uh, I'd rather be in that kind of debt because he can at least walk into a room, get his shit together, walk into a room with that fucking film and have those people in that room go, oh, but he knows how to fucking make a feature because that's an issue I'm seeing right now because it's a double-sided fucking sword here. So... At least he can walk in the room with that as opposed to walking in a room with a $70,000 debt for fucking film school and going, I've got a film degree. And they go, I don't give a fuck. So it, it really just depends on how you look at it, you know? Well, I will argue that I'm getting, hold on, I'm getting a lot of feedback. I don't know if that's from you or from me. Uh, it's weird, man. I, I don't hear any feedback. And lately, I've had a couple guests say that. So I wonder what that's from. Can it, you hear me? I can hear you. How are your... Is it, click your little gear on Zencaster on the top. Make sure it's the right output. Because every time I've had the guest do that, it changes it. Uh, the gear is not even uh, doing that. You know what? I think it's feedback from the input into the uh, whatever the fuck it is on your end. Because it's coming in. It, it, but I don't know. When I mute myself, I don't hear it. This is interesting. It's at like 13 minutes. I'm going to, I can, listen, if we want to keep this in, we could totally keep this in the yeah. fucking episode because everybody can know about our uh, technical <laughs> difficulties. Guys, this shit still exists. Uh, I don't have any. i out a lot of fucking episodes, but there's. I'm just saying that uh, you're a special snowflake here because I don't have any feedback. It's coming on your end. You can go fuck yourself. Yeah. Look, the, here's what I will say though, and I'll try to figure this out uh, and, and ignore the feedback. It's kind of going away. I think it's the compression on the mic. It's just picking it up and getting, oh, it gets, I got it. All right. I figured it out, people. We're good. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the problem is that you're absolutely right. If you're going to film school just because you're like, well, what do I do? I want to make films. Oh, I should just go to film school and then I'll be able to make films. That, that notion is bullshit. Mm -hmm. That is not why you should be going to film school. However, and again, I agree with you. And I think, and I do want to specify this, and uh, is that the Josh Lobo episode is fucking amazing. And it is filled with so much great insight. And the guy really is someone that we can learn from as, as a listener and, and, and now a fan of his. Um, however, the, th the reason I'm going to film school is because I don't want to be in a position that you're saying I might be in, which is, it's when you get into this industry, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Mm -hmm. And I am getting every week, I'm getting more and more opportunities based off of who I know in film school. Yeah. And what really fucking pissed me off is the fact that you had a, 
an episode about should I go to film school? And I have not only gone to film school once, I've gone to film school now three separate times Mm -hmm. at three separate levels. (laughs) Okay. And I've had three totally different experiences. Okay. And I felt like I I felt a little FOMO here being like, I have some fucking input (laughs) that's not being addressed on this show. Well, you know what? This is going to really fucking kick you in the ass. Maybe if you weren't so busy with film school, you could have been on the episode. <laughs> no, 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 don't give me that shit. Because you told me that you were interviewing someone else that day, and then it canceled on you. That was not on the fucking schedule. That's it's not true. like I could have That's worked right. things around to be on that. You did it impromptu, uh, little shit. Well, yeah, it's quick because our, our fucking guest backed out last minute. Literally five minutes before fucking rolling. So, Oh, mm. that happens. And, and, yeah. and look, here's... Because I now have to retroactively give in, uh, give my uh, insight on this, I will say, because I did the math, I'm pretty sure I have f- six times the experience in film school as you do. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, you do. And I would, dude, I got so mad. <laughs> I was sitting there, I'm like, this guy has more experience filmmaking than I do, but this is the one fucking thing I've got more experience than him by a lot. And... And for everybody who's 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 listening to this and sitting there like, oh, okay, we just listened to Mike's opinion on film school. Here's from somebody who's gone to three separate types of film schools. Go to community college. Dead ass. Okay. Okay. That's that is my that's my like that's my recommendation. As easy as it can go. And the reason for that is when I went to community college, I didn't just go to community college that didn't have a film school. You have to do research. You have to find that stuff. And you're not going to find a community college that will, well, you, you might don't go to a community college that says this will get you into film school and don't go to a one year film program. I strongly recommend that. Do not go to that. Instead, go to a, uh, go to a program or at least what I did. What I did was I went to a program that was structured for this will get you into local news and it'll get you into a uh, live event. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was structured for. I was, I was given opportunities. I was given training and I was, I literally was given a job halfway after, uh, I want to say six months as a camera op for the, uh, AHL equivalent for the Philadelphia flyers. Mm-hmm. And I got immediate hands-on experience operating a camera. And then that transitioned into technical directing, which if you haven't done live event, there are no second chances. You can't go back to one. you got to get the shot when it's there. And that's the, that's the job. Yeah. So it taught me the high speed on the job training that you have to get it right the first time or else you're fucked. Yep. And you can't go back. Keep going. So that was phenomenal and absolutely integral to my experience. Then when I transferred... I took all that experience. In addition to that, I got hands-on experience doing a bunch of different software, and I learned about After Effects. And I immediately was able to put After Effects on my uh, my resume, and had a demo reel leaving school that got me a job working for places like Crayola. So I was working with clients, I was working on live event stuff, I was doing a bunch of different things, and I had a lot of irons in the fire. Mm-hmm. And that was fantastic. It got a bunch of experience, and I did it at community college, which means I got it for essentially free. Mm-hmm. which that's what we want. Now, it didn't give me, it gave me some narrative, but not a ton of narrative. It wasn't structured for narrative. And so when I went on to my four-year undergrad, I targeted, well, I got a scholarship and I was able to go for free, which again is why I went to community college because I was able to go and get a bachelor's degree for free. Yep. <clears throat> so did that, but when I got there, it was at a place that was sitting there saying, we're gonna teach you how to be a director. We're gonna teach you how to be a cinematographer. But because I went to a smaller school that was 
giving me an opportunity and I didn't pay the big bucks to go to the bigger name school. It was bullshit. They didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They didn't know how to teach us. They, uh, they, they bragged about the gear and the location. And the reality was I got a black magic pocket camera that I didn't have access to. Mm-hmm. And that was what they were touting. And so I was shooting on a DSLR that was worse than my personal DSLR. And I didn't get a lot of benefit out of that. So the four year was kind of shitty, but that's because I didn't go to one of the bigger schools. And now that I'm in grad school, it's, I'm right back in it again. I have totally flipped on things. I am getting access to industry leaders. And it kind of is funny because I'm sitting there going like, oh, I feel like I'm once again on the podcast having these conversations with people. But I'm also getting, you know, I mean, Richard Gladstein, we got him on the podcast and I never would have met him if he wasn't the uh, the president of my, my program. Very true. Very true. And that's, you know, and he's not the only person that I've had access to. And we are going to have more access. And this is, but I'm also learning a totally different skill now. And I'm learning more uh, software. I'm learning the movie magic budgeting and scheduling stuff. I'm learning about how to... Uh, literally all the shit that you were complaining about, I wrote. I wrote these fucking notes, dude. Because <laughs> you were like, you were like, does that university give you a set production course program? Yes. Does mm-hmm. that university give you a production assistantship with a good placement program? Yes. Good. Does you, pick a school with an intense onset program? Got it. Be in a place where you can practice the art of filmmaking. Got it. Practice casting sessions. I've been in so many, it hurts since I got here. Don't ask the alumni that are at the promotional thing because they're getting paid to go to the school. That happened at my undergrad, and I asked them real questions. They gave real answers, and I got in trouble. That fucking happened at the other grad. (laughs) Meanwhile, at graduate school and at community college, none of that has happened. Uh, We've gotten real fucking answers from real people, which is fan-fucking-tastic. And so, like, yeah, so that's – okay, my rant is now over because that was all my response to it, which is you're absolutely right in the, in the thing that if you pick a school that is program, uh, like their marketing is you're going to be a filmmaker. We're going to teach you the art of filmmaking and shit like that. Or you're looking at a place like Columbia, which their students were on fucking strike because they, they program themselves as we're not going to teach you how to shoot a film. We're not going to teach you how to, uh, direct a film or, well, they have a director's program, but it's, it's mostly about the craft of storytelling mm-hmm. and about setting up a script and figuring out what these characters do. But you're paying 60000 fucking dollars a year to learn how to write a script better. To- it, to- totally. Totally. You know? Dude, and, and look, uh, I'll say this. The one thing that I will say about you, because of your path that you've been on and because... I mean, for those of you who don't know, Liam wrote to me and asked if he could be on the show. So Liam is one of those folks that is very driven and very much uh, an individual that will seek out, (laughs) almost to your detriment, because you get yourself in trouble sometimes. He will seek out the answers that he needs. He will seek out the course that he wants. Yes, that's what you do. You're a very driven individual. And I've told you multiple times, you if you didn't want to go to grad school, you could be working right now. Like, you'd literally be in the industry right now learning all these tricks and techniques and getting fucking paid for it. Yeah, so, I'm fucking aware. Yeah, so like, yeah, there, there is this level of like, you're, you're getting this and you're learning from this and some people need that. And I'm not shitting on folks that decide to do it by any means. Whatever the fuck it is that you need to do, you do it. And that's what we talk about on the show. I'm not saying that my path is the right path or the wrong path. But 
I'm also, I had no problem standing on my soapbox last week and fucking blasting these places because they hit us with so much propaganda. And this propaganda is actually like laden in our family structure, in our parental structure, at least mine coming from uh, two uh, parents that were uh, kids of the baby boomer generation, where it's like, if you don't go to fucking college, you're a piece of shit. If you don't go to college, you've got nothing. You've got no life. You've got nothing. And now we're seeing the results of that generation where uh, how many people work at fucking Starbucks and have a goddamn uh, bachelor's degree at fucking Starbucks. Yep. And they, they're, you know, uh, student debt and student loans is a massive fucking problem in our country right now. A huge fucking problem. And what we're seeing is just the back end of that fucking sales pitch, which was based solely in fear. Second in place to religion almost. You know what I'm saying? Like that same level of like, if you don't do good, you're going to roast in hell. If you don't go to college, you're never going to make it in life. That was the sales pitch. And so I wanted to, I remember the day that I didn't get into college. I remember the day that I didn't get into art school. I remember how my fucking parents reacted to that. I remember how my mother reacted to that. She cried. She bawled. She was so pissed. She'll be mad that I'm saying this in the podcast, but deal with it. <laughs> but she was so pissed off. And she was like, you're a failure. And so like that level of stress and that level of, anxiety that is that we put on our kids and this is a longer conversation that i could fucking continue to rant on on like how many people out there have to keep their kids busy all the time with like sports programs and this and this and this and you you forget that like there's a level of just being a kid and being with your parents and learning things from folks last night i just watched um chef again with uh, john favreau's movie you've seen that mm -hmm. right uh, I, I actually haven't, but you mentioned it on the uh, the podcast, and then somebody else watched it as one of our script analysis finals yep. uh, where you could choose the film, and now it's like, I have to watch it this week, essentially. It's fucking great, dude. I'm not going to ruin any parts of it, but if you've seen this at home, you know that the best part of that movie, uh, they dress it up with really great food, and the food is amazing in it, but the best part of that movie is a father and son finding each other again. And just the power of the connection of these two, the power of them working together, the power of them doing stuff together. And the, the scenes that really pull my heartstrings in that film are the ones where you just, you actually see as a kid with a, with a dad and, and, and a family that wasn't split. And this movie is about a split family, which is even more heartbreaking. Um, when you look at these moments that kids respect and you look at these moments that really shape you as a young individual, and more often than not, it's seeing someone that you aspire to be or seeing someone that you really respect do something really great and then share it with you. And that was the kind of upbringing that I always responded to. That is the kind of teaching I respond to. Like, Liam, you've worked with me. That's what I do when I have uh, internships or people that work with me. It's come do it. Come do it and see it. Come see what it's all about. Because... I've never been at, like I said in that last episode, I've never been someone that can sit and go through a fucking curriculum and sit there and go, I, I, I'm a kid. I have no point of reference on how this is ever going to affect my fucking life. And all you're telling me, Mr. I fucking barely hear 
uh, is that I have to turn to this chapter and read this chapter overnight? What is the context of this fucking chapter? How does this play into my life at all? How is this important to what it is that I want to do? And maybe that's because I don't have the ability of foresight, but you're supposed to be teaching me these things. And so that's ultimately, and then if I wanted to go on even further fucking rant about this, I spent years, if you go back and listen to the episode that I did with my good buddy, Rudy Hippolyte, I spent years shooting documentaries for Harvard. And I spent years covering their classes and covering their curriculum and filming these things. And I remember sort of sitting in that space, looking around at these kids that were spending ass loads of fucking money and the goddamn teacher's assistant would put a fucking DVD in. And I, I remember saying to the people that were there, just going, if that was me, I'd stand up and demand my fucking money back. Like I can put a fucking DVD in at home. You're not even giving me context for this fucking DVD. And the only reason why you're in this school, you piece of shit, is that your uh, studies are being financed by it. And part of your deal is that you have to teach these classes. And you're just here to find some new fucking super drug. And so you get a teacher's assistant to do all the hard work for you. And you just sit there. And maybe you don't even show up to fucking class that day. How much am I paying? How much more am I paying? And you're right about community college. That's what I started to do. Because you can get all those accredited, accredited courses at a fucking reasonable price. Because it doesn't fucking matter. You know? So, like, seeing these things and being bearing witness to how this stuff happens. For years I shot at Harvard. 12 years shot for them. And understanding the sales pitch, the con that those motherfuckers have, and the fact that they're tax-free, and then they, if you live in Boston and you're listening, you all know this, because this is a huge, unspoken fucking issue that that city has. Harvard buys real estate, so they spread their shit like a cancer, and they've spread over the bridge, they've spread over the river, and they buy out entire neighborhoods that they want to transform into ex extended campuses, and what they do is they hold on to them for a generation and collect rent. So they collect rent on people's homes, they collect rent on businesses, and they pay zero taxes for it. So do I have a beef with the college system? You bet your fucking ass I do, because I see them and I see how they play. And I see these motherfuckers, and I've been in their meetings where they sit there and they go, here's our financial planning for the next 50 years. And you're like, fuck off. Your endowment is how many fucking billions? Fuck you. Oh, we're giving out some free scholarships to needy kids. Fuck you. So at the end of the day, that is definitely in the back of my mind. So when you hear me rant on this show about colleges and shit, there's a, it's heavily loaded. Because that is all back there. And at the end of the day, when it comes to the film industry, I meet people consistently that either come work for me, that work for other folks. I did that episode and you were giving me shit because you're like, that episode's a clickbait episode. No, I literally had nothing to talk about because I had that guest cancel. So I was just going through my Instagram and I, on a weekly basis, have at least five to 10 people writing me that question on a weekly basis. Should I go to film school? I'm in film school, I don't like it. Should I stay with it? Does it fucking matter? This is a huge question. 
that a lot of people have. And the big problem with our industry is that there's no path that is guaranteed to be success. There isn't. And so from my perspective, and take it or leave it, because who the fuck cares what I think? So take it or leave it. But my perspective is keep your overhead low, keep your cost at a minimum, be driven, and find a million different ways to do something because there aren't rules. This isn't uh, becoming a surgeon. This isn't becoming a doctor. You don't have to do those things. So if you ain't gonna get paid for a long fucking time, I mean, the whole mantra of this show is that it's eight years. I don't think the episodes come out yet, but I get into a beef with what's his name from um, uh, Just Shoot a Podcast where he starts to try to give me shit. He's like, what do you mean eight years? And I was like, eight fucking years, dude. Statistically, it takes that long before anybody gives a fuck about you. And in that period of time, you're doing the hustle. You talk about doing live switching events. I used to do that shit too, man. I used to live switch fucking uh, concerts. I used to live switch graduations. I used to fucking live switch graduations at colleges and watching these kids go up there, walk off stage with the diplomas and know those kids now that have no fucking job and that are dealing with the fucking debt that has been put on them by these greedy motherfuckers that run these fucking businesses. Now, is college great for some folks? Yes. Is it a necessity? Yes. Can you walk out of college and immediately get an amazing job? If you play your cards right, you might be able to do that. But statistically, do you walk out of college with an ass load of fucking debt behind you and nothing? Yes. So, I don't know. You, you got me fucking... I have a rebuttal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that. <laughs> but, and, and you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Here's the rebuttal. Is that you're going to have to work your ass off no matter what you do. Yeah. The, a lot of people, though, don't have, A, they don't have access to gear. Certain colleges give you that. Yep. So if you're just trying to shoot on something that isn't your DSLR, uh, going to school gives you access to gear. Totally. That doesn't mean that you need, you know what doesn't give you access to gear? Fucking Columbia. But that's another story. <laughs> uh <laughs> But, but okay, the reason I chose Fierstein, which for everyone listening, I go to the Fierstein Graduate School of Cinema. It's part of Brooklyn College, which is a CUNY school, which is, guess what? Another fucking public school. So that's what it is. Once again, from community college all the way up to grad school, I have been in the public school system, the cool. cheapest fucking option that you can do, the state public school system. And I've been in a couple uh, state public school systems, but I get access to gear. I get access to studios, kind of. We're in a struggle here, and that's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to have a conversation with you about all this stuff. Um, but then I, we also get access to people. What I didn't have growing up was an in. I didn't have some sort of connection to the industry. And so I went to school to try to get experience and understanding of how to use gear, how to work on sets, how to do all that stuff, which is why I did the community college and the undergrad stuff. And I got that experience there. Some of it I had to find for myself. I also did what you suggest on the show, which is reaching out to people that you like. I did that. 
I, I wanted to work for a fucking podcast. It was some asshole who moved to LA and I was able to do that. I got lucky. He didn't grill me too hard on whether or not I was able to live in LA or I had a uh, space lined up. So I was able to lie, but I was able to get there. And then now it's now I'm back in New York and I'm doing that stuff because when I was looking for other alternative ways to learn by going on YouTube and watching things like uh, the A Team and Aperture's Four Minute Film School and Indie Mogul and whatnot, uh, we had uh, the host. We've had the host on our show actually, and I'm yep. blanking on his name. Uh, Ted Sim. Yep. Ted Sim interviewed one of the people at Fierstein, and he talked about how it was a it was a good school with a cheap fucking opportunity and the fact that they were doing all this stuff and they were on the Steiner lot in New York where they shoot. I literally go to school right down the uh, right down the hall from where the production offices are for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And then in addition to that, it is that I know people who got jobs on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and got jobs at SNL while in school at my program. It is established that there are jobs that students are able to get by going into specifically the producing track at Fierstein. That was the research. That's what I did. I knew that this was an opportunity and I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to fall into one of those traps that you say, because that's a huge fear. And that was one of the fears that I had, which was if I'm going to pay so much money to go to a place like NYU or Columbia or UCLA or USC, not UCLA so much as USC, but if I'm going to these big name schools, am I going to sit there, you know, with, with nothing to show for it at the end? And so I didn't, I didn't go to those schools. I chose a school that I knew I would get hands-on experience. I knew that I would get inside uh, an inside track to people working in the industry I would have those connections. I would build those relationships. And I know that it is established and continuous and recent examples of people in my position getting jobs either directly out of school or while they're still enrolled. That's, I mean, you can't ask for more than that. No, dude. And like, I think that I would sum up all of this by saying that no matter what, Liam, you are the type of individual that will find a way to make it work. And I think that if you examine um, all of this stuff with you, whether it's, you know, you uh, figuring out to go to a community school first, you figuring out uh, how to get access to me, how to get access to the show, or uh, how to find a college that has placement stuff, you're one of those individuals that's incredibly driven for that. That's a rare thing. I mean, you're a fucking robot. We've already established this on the show is that you're, you're uh, you know, a uh, robot with no emotions. <laughs> no, I'm uh, yes, that's true. But the, the important part here is that you have the drive. So you could take that same essence, you could take that same drive that you have and, and find a way to get your ass, if you didn't go to school, you could find a way to get your ass working for people in, 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 in a position. You've got that fucking need. You have that. And I think more importantly than anything here, whether you decide to go to film school, whether you decide to go work on a, a crew, I've seen people that go work on a crew that get lost in it because they don't have the fucking drive. They end up becoming, they, they, they join a crew because they have every aspiration to be a filmmaker and then... 30 years later, 20 years later, there's still a fucking grip. And I'm not shitting on grips because I think that's an amazing fucking job. I just know that those individuals want more than that. 
And those are individuals that I consist that will call me for inspiration consistently and be like, what are you up to? And what are you doing? What's going on? It's like, you don't have the fucking drive. So if you don't have the drive to make it, it doesn't matter if you go to fucking film school. It doesn't matter if you go in PA. It doesn't matter if you, if you just shoot it on your own, you literally have to have the resolve to consistently confront a fucking tsunami of no every fucking day. Like, am I allowed to do this? No. Am, should I be doing this? No. Dude, it's so hard to do. I deal with it on a constant basis. And if I just settled and I just agreed with the no, this show wouldn't exist. I wouldn't have fucking movies. I wouldn't have any of this stuff. And just because I hit a level, just because I get to a point where it's like, I've got a film and development, I've got this going on. I can't just sort of sit back and let the fucking system take control because it dies. Drive is the only thing that I can guarantee you will make you successful is drive. A hundred percent. It's not going to come easy and you can't get it from a film school and you can't get it from fucking working for me. You just can't. I've taught people. I've had assistants and people that have worked with me for fucking eight years. And when they stop working for me, they give up. They don't have the fucking drive. And so I think that if you are to take something from all of this stuff, sure, we can go back and forth on whether or not your path is going to be a successful path or whether my path is a successful path. Who gives a fuck? If you do the Liam path and it's successful, high fucking five. If the path that you're using is my path and you make something that is amazing and that we're all loving, high fucking five. It's not guaranteed. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And actually, this is kind of segueing into the reason why I... I specifically reached out to you about hopping on and having a conversation today. Yeah, that was a long rant. That was like a 40 fucking minute rant between the two of us. Listen, listen, people, it's all calculated. It's all (laughs) pre-planned. We're just reading off a script. Sure. It's impressive. Yeah, right. (laughs) I would actually, I would hate if we had to write scripts for this. I would fucking hate that. Well, I'd lose the heat. You say like that that heat, that passionate, that fucking boner you get when you start fucking yelling about shit. It'd be gone. I'd I'd have it when I wrote it down on paper the first time and then reading it the second time, be like, does any of this make any sense? And maybe I should. <laughs> maybe you should. No, and that's but you'd have to send it to me for me to fix all the fucking spelling. <laughs> Which I probably would have learned how to be uh better with spelling if I had uh, paid attention in school. So, you know, there's that. That's right. Full circle, baby. Mm-hmm. But but this actually does bring back kind of the point, which is that drive, right? And it's it's especially look and and again, I'm going to film school, but I'm not going to a place like Columbia or a place like AFI, which I was on that crew. I was one of the grips on the crew for AFI student film sets while I was in LA. While I was you know there, it was funny. I'd like I'd, I'd go to your place and work uh, Monday through Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday I was on AFI film sets uh, mm-hmm. to connect with you know, people that are at AFI and shit like that. And I actually built a network that somehow connects with my New York network because people worked together at, that are now both going to school uh, at AFI and at Fierstein. And I know everyone. And so we start getting this web of, of contacts, which is kind of the point of film school. 
is to build this network. But one of the things that kind of frustrated me was places like AFI, it's not a lot, but they do get budgets built into their projects. Yeah. And so when you go to a place like AFI, you do learn, I mean, it is a conservatory, so you get hands-on, consistent, practical experience, but it's with a budget. And so raising funds isn't, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I might get flack for this and I'll talk to them and I'll correct it at some point uh, if I'm wrong here. But you don't have to, money doesn't come out of your pocket immediately every time you're doing a film. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned, what, like 15 fucking minutes ago in your second uh, <laughs> monologue was was that, you know, you constantly, you had you had one film in development. But that didn't stop you from turning around and making another concept short yep. and developing a second script that you now have in development. Thank God. And, and what you've done with both of those is you, you had to go out and you had to self-finance that shit. If I'm, if I'm mistaken, tell me, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, so I self-financed a uh, majority of them. And then what I wasn't able to self-finance, I had to raise money for. Yeah. Right. And that right there is something that we're running into um, specifically because of COVID. And I will look, I will be fully transparent on this show right now, which is the fact that COVID and working in a system like a school where the school doesn't just have to, when I say school, right, it's, it's the Fearston Graduate School, but that is part of Brooklyn College, which is part of CUNY. Mm-hmm. And so there are steps. And when there's in a global pandemic, Fierstein has their own stat, uh, their own guidelines, but so does Brooklyn College, and so does CUNY, and so we as students get all of that on uh, us. Well, that sucks. It's yeah, it's it's what I signed up for, um, and one of the things is we have a great space, but because of COVID restrictions, we're not able to do what we need to do in that space. And so that means that we have to turn around and now we have to find locations, which mm. means we have to budget for those locations. Yeah. And that changes that changes everything. And this was one of the conversations that I was having with you on the phone um, was the fact that you – and you've talked about this on the show where you found a sweet location at, uh, for 12KM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that whole situation and figuring out stuff like that. So look and, – and this is me turning to the audience again, so – you know, everybody out there, right? A lot of us are sitting there going like, me especially, I'm going like, I know I need to figure out A, how to get money for this and B, how to get access to locations. So instead of just sitting there and and just doing it and then not sharing it, we have a fucking platform. So I'd like to basically go through the process of this shit. Hashtag bingo card. Uh, (laughs) And and try to share it with everybody and figure this shit out. Sure. So, so what, do you, what do you want to do? You want to talk about how you've done it? Is that what you're getting at? No, because I'm in the process of doing it. Like literally right now, we are in talks with four locations in three different states. And yeah, I guess I can give some context. Mm-hmm. Essentially is like we've got this script, uh, we've got this project and I can, I know you wanted me to pitch it <laughs> or at least because I, I haven't told you anything about the project <laughs> other than the fucking problems. <laughs> but, but the real problem is that we are... We needed a trailer, right? We needed a trailer and a trailer park. And I was able to find one within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But it was in Pennsylvania. And so my school, because I have to follow restrictions, the school is like, you can't go to Pennsylvania. 
So then we found a, a, a house that worked uh, for what we were looking for. But it was in New Jersey. And they were like, you can't go to New Jersey. And so now we're looking at New York, but I don't have any contacts in New York. Yeah. And so that's kind of, that's the situation that we're in, which is we kind of sort of have that and we're looking for interiors and we kind of sort of have an interior that's kind of sort of locked down. It's in that weird stage. And I, I kind of want to talk about this part too, right? Which is the fact that making, making a film, it feels like nothing is confirmed until you're there. <laughs> oh, I can, I can, I can attest to that. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, dude. Okay. So locations, right? Yeah. Locations are a beast. So the, for the years and years that I've been doing music videos, that kind of was the beginning for us. That, that's what we, that's where I was really learning how to figure out legitimate location stuff. Because prior to that, I would do my shorts. I would do uh, the stuff I did in film school was sort of like, you know, semi-convincing. Hey, can I shoot on your front steps? Hey, can I shoot just a quick scene with just two of us in the house. But as soon as you start having to get more than five people involved, it's a thing, you know, just like, where does everybody put their piss? You know what I mean? Like it just becomes a, a fucking, you know, a logistical nightmare. And uh, people that have locations that you're able to sweet talk into letting you do shoot there, they, as soon as they see the multiple cars, as soon as they see the cases and the gear, they freak the fuck out. Um, so I have talked about the 12KM location, which, uh, you know, God rest his soul, uh, our buddy Fink, who died recently, he was the guy that hooked me up. He was a really good dude. Um, and I met him through connections. I met him through my uncle. So my uncle, Paul, like if you've seen 12KM, the guy who plays the demon at the end is my uncle. He was also, a uh, fun fact, he was also the demon in the Meshuggah video. And Paul has been in a lot of my stuff. He's amazing. He's a really cool dude. Always willing to go above and beyond. Um, and not only would he act in my stuff, but he would also build the sets. <laughs> He'd be in construction at the same time. So um, I ended up meeting the guy who owned this place, Fink, through him. And I met him because I was trying to do the Punisher short that I'm, no one's been able to see. And I had to find a place for that. And so I was doing this, I was scouring around my hometown, not even my hometown, my home state, um, pulling any connections that I knew. I was like, does anybody know anybody that has like a hot rod shop, a fucking motorcycle place, some cool spot? And we were just doing the runaround, like going from spot to spot. And you know the deal, you go into a location and they're like, well... Uh, you can only do it on a Tuesday between, you know, 9 p.m. and fucking 12 p.m. You know, yep. I have a shop that's open. I got a place that's open. I got shit I got to deal with. Uh, and this is on an indie level. If it's on a larger level, then you're dealing with budget stuff where they're like, uh, how much are you willing to pay us to buy out this place for the day? And if you're out here in Los Angeles, it's even worse. So... Uh, last, I went and I looked at all these different motorcycle shops and there were so many fucking bullshit things that I had to deal with, like time constraints and like, I've got a key that you have to like blow on six times and twist and maybe it will open, maybe it won't open. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so then, uh, I just happened to call my uncle out of desperation. I was like, do you know a fucking place? I, I, you know, whatever, man, if you don't, 
And he's like, yeah. And so he found the Fink place. And so we went over there and shot the Punisher there at that spot. Now, fast forward to when I did 12 cam. In the script, it says Russian drill team that is at a drill site in the 1980s that has this fucking thing. And that was my initial. Before I did that, decided to make this movie, I'm like, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to make this. I have to have like an outdoor drill site in snow in Siberia. I have to do all this kind of shit. How the fuck am I going to do this? And it wasn't until I kind of changed everything because of locations. Even though in the script it said all that stuff, I went, you know, this is a weird fucking idea. And I don't know if it's going to work, but there was this weird loading dock at Fink's place. And we got to go see him because I got to see if I can make it work there. But there's a strange loading dock there. And that maybe could be it. And I remember telling someone and they're like, how the fuck are you going to make that into a drill site? And I'm like, I don't know. I think we could. So I ended up going to the location and looking at it and seeing it and, and conceiving, if you guys have seen the short, conceiving that steady cam move on the first day going, if I do the steady cam move, it makes it seem bigger. And if I put, if we'll build a little setup on top here, but it was all built around this loading dock that if you'd seen with the lights on, you'd go, what are you out of your fucking mind? Like this is supposed to be Russia. So I guess the point of that is that at an indie level, and even oftentimes when you have money, what is written on the script is what you can't get just because of all the different restrictions that come with locations. And so um, the counter to that was when we did Who's There? And Who's There? I was looking for a tight little apartment. The joke between me and Kruda is that I actually storyboarded the entire house in my apartment. And he would look at the boards and goes, yeah, you did this up in the bathroom near your place. And he kept begging me. He's like, can we please not shoot this at your house? And in my mind, I was trying to save money. I'm like, I'm just going to shoot at my fucking apartment. And so in my head, I'm like, sure, Kruda, whatever. And he's like, will you please go look at other locations? I don't want to be restricted to shooting this in your place. Like there isn't enough room. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so I went through the process of storyboarding out the whole thing and going like, this is going to be awesome here and there. And he's like, just look. And then there's that nightmare where if you're self-producing it, you go, and you've done this before. And you're like, all right, I got all these fucking people. I got all this fucking parking. I'm like, God damn it. I don't want to look for another location. That's why I storyboarded in my place because I don't want to do it. And uh, he's like, you got to. And so like I was digging around and I was looking for different spots and I was just asking people that I knew. And the story is that I asked Gina. Because Gina, I don't know, she gets amazing locations. I should have her on the show with you. She gets fucking phenomenal locations. She's so much better at it than I am. I think she's got more patience for it than I do. Uh, but uh, she's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's this house. I remember this house I went to. And I was like, okay, describe it. And of course, I have like a very low, <laughs> I have a very low threshold because I don't want to fucking do this. I don't want to go look. I can just shoot at my house, you know? And she's like, there's this apartment, or this is building, this is, house that I remember and the only way I could describe it is woodsy <laughs> I was like what do you mean woodsy <laughs> what is it in the middle of the woods and she's like no it's just a lot of wood wood is all that comes to mind I'm like what is it like a fucking like what is it like a log cabin <laughs> like, what is this wood thing and she goes just go look at it and so she gives me the address and I go to this amazing location that we have sh- that we shot the the proof of concept in which is like a Guillermo del Toro shining old school Vincent Price like haunted house. And this place is fucking stunning. 
and you walk in there and it was like built in like, I don't know, late 1700s, early 1800s, whatever it was. And so I walk in there and I look around and I go, holy shit. It's so big and it's so amazing. It's changing the movie in my head as I walk through this space. And I remember going like, fuck. And, I, and at this point, you're like, all right, so these people own this mansion, right? And I'm just a little indie person. So I'm kind of fucked here. You know what I mean? Like they're going to want a ton of fucking money for this. And so I go to them and they're like, well, what do you think? And they're walking me through and they show me all this stuff. And, and I'm like, can I put a fire in the fireplace? They're like, yeah, you can do that. You can do all this sort of stuff. And I was like, okay, all right. And so you get in the kitchen. <laughs> and I remember I said to the woman, I'm sitting across from her. And it's one of those conversations you have where someone thinks they know more about your business. And so I'm sitting across from her. She crosses her legs and she looks at me and she goes, so do you like it? And I was like, yeah. But when she said that, I saw it in her face. She really wanted us to shoot there. And I was like, yeah, I do. And she goes, so um, so here's what I'm thinking. And I was like, okay. And she goes, I'm thinking, don't quote me on this number. Let me make up a number. I'm thinking uh, 13,000. I was like, 13,000, huh? For, for this location? And she goes, yeah. And I go, for the, for the thing? She goes, yeah, per day. And I go, ha, <laughs> okay, all right. I can't do that. And she's like, well, what do you mean you can't do that? I said, I can't fucking do that. I can't do 13,000 for the fucking day. There's no, there's no fucking way I can do 13,000 for the day. And she's like, okay, well, what are you thinking? I go, I'm thinking six. She's like, 6,000? I go, 600. 600 is what I'm thinking. That's what I can give you for this, like 600. I think it was like six or a change per day. And she's like, uh-huh. And I said, but here's what I can offer you. Like, uh, I'm going to have a massive crew in here, and these are people that deal with locations and stuff, and this will become a spot that's a hot spot for locations because it's so beautiful and people don't know about it. This isn't a listed location. So there's a, like, a crew of 50 people that are working on, like, the new Bruce Willis movie are going to come in here and remember this location. I said, so it will help put you on the map for other spots. And uh, she was like, okay. And so I'm like, so... That's the deal. Now, I'm fully insured. I pay for insurance. I pay for a standard insurance policy. I pay for everything else. And she was like, uh, okay. And so they walked away and her and her, her, her uh, what's his name that was also part of it. I'm going to forget his name. And I apologize. They go off and they talk uh, and they come back and they go, okay, we'll do it. And I was like, okay, what? You know what I mean? In my head, I'm just like, I'm just like, oh, oh, sure. Okay, perfect. And then comes all of the additions, right? So you do that, and then it's then it's like, uh, but um, you're going to need to put me up in a spot. I'm like, fine. You know, well, how much does it cost for a hotel? Like two hundred dollars a night? Totally. I'll put you up for a spot. I'll do that sort of thing. Come to find out, it's in the Hamptons. <laughs> Come to find out, that's now costing me a few thousand to set somebody to go put themselves up. And then the insurance. Remember, we had insurance problems where I had a standard insurance policy that I use as any shooter in any like like in skyscrapers and shit. And she's like, I want a. I think she wanted like a two million dollar insurance policy. I remember, I call, I called the insurance company, and they were like, What? And now this is all coming later. So like I've already planned it out. I've already put all this stuff together. And so then I'm trying to talk to her about it and be like, 
this is kind of fucking ridiculous. This is unrealistic. Like, I don't need this policy for this. And if, I, if I'm going to get this policy, it's going to cost me thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars, on addition to the, <laughs> the amount that I'm paying you to be here and the amount that I'm paying to get you out of here while I shoot here. And now you're going to charge me all this money for this insurance policy. And she wouldn't budge. She's like, it needs to happen. Now, this is like two or three days before shooting. Now, I have fucking people coming in and out of this place, doing measurements, checking things, doing all this shit. And so, luckily, I've been in the business long enough where I'm not losing my shit. And I'm just like, it'll be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And so, I was going through the process of trying to figure out how I was going to get this insurance policy and the amount of time that it needed me to get this insurance policy before the shoot was ridiculous. Like the window was narrowing. And I remember calling my buddy and I, I, I can mention him on the show. Maybe I can't. I ended up calling one of my buddies um, who I had worked for prior to this at a production company in a production company that repped me. So I called him up just to get his advice. And I was just, because he's been in the business for a long time. He's a great guy. And the only reason I'm not mentioning his name is because we did everything legit, but just in case. Um, really cool dude. And I said to him, like, hey, what's your advice on this? Have you ever heard about something like this? And he's like, it's kind of ridiculous. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. And he goes, it's expensive. He's like, I've got that insurance policy. It's expensive. You know, because he did like car commercials and shit like that that required like a massive insurance policy. And I was like, fuck, I'm fucked. And this is my conversation. You know, I'm like, I've got everything lined up. And I'm like, this sucks. Well, worst case scenario, I'll just do it at my house and everybody's going to be miserable. And he offered to uh, insure it. And he was like, I'll, I'll wow. do it if you put it through. You have to pay for any of the deductibles you have to take care of any of that stuff if anything goes wrong but i'll do it he saved it he saved the shoot so uh i guess the <laughs> the point of the story is every time i do a shoot and i know that gina runs into this she ran into this recently every time the most difficult thing is locations it is the most fluid thing um, there are apps out there right now. Gina, what's the app that you use for locations again? What? What's the app that you use for location finding again? Gigster. Gigster. I know, I asked you that on the last one. Gigster, yeah, she uses Gigster a lot. There's a bunch of apps out there that will help you find these things, but it becomes really complicated when you start dealing with insurance policies and permitting, and especially out here in California, it's a fucking nightmare. Um, but if you're back at home and you're doing that stuff, it isn't as ridiculous. Um, yeah. And, and to that point, like I said, I, well, you, you constantly talk about it. It's like, you know, make stuff in your hometown and then go to a place. Well, I'm already in New York, right? So I'm already in a production hub. However, I know that it would be easier and cheaper to find a place that I can shoot one of these projects in my hometown. And then in addition to that, yeah, I got to travel the crew, but this is COVID. We're only allowed to take eight people total. Yeah. That's, that's the rule. So I don't have to, you know, house 50 people. And then in addition to that, I go home 
all my buddies are gone, but their parents are still there. So there's a bunch of empty nests. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm like, there it is. We've, we've got housing. And these are people, you know, like I, I know that I can go in and say, hey, do you mind if some of my friends from school park in here overnight, one night, so we can shoot uh, at my other buddy's house? Yeah, no problem. I know that's going to be there. We're going to be good to go. But that's not possible because the school won't even let us travel. Well, yeah, there's this whole interstate thing, especially on the East Coast, right? right? You're not allowed to, for quite some time, you weren't allowed to travel interstate as far as COVID was concerned. Right, 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 right. And and though we are allowed to travel to PA, to New Jersey, to New York, because of the fact that like everybody commutes from PA to New York to work, um, it doesn't change the fact that we're dealing with school regulations. And so we can't do that. But yeah. that's that's yeah. exactly the thing. Like you're talking, you mentioned a, a million dollar uh, insurance policy. I actually have a million dollar insurance policy for uh, for my shoots in addition to the million dollar insurance policy that the school has yeah. on the equipment. Yeah. And the reason that I have that is because the school doesn't cover anybody who's not a student. So none of my talent is covered. Yeah. <clears throat> and then in addition to that, like none of the equipment that I would bring uh, from my own personal use or any of the other people in the crew, none of that's covered. So I had to get my own insurance. Um, but that's, you know, that's that's raising questions. And, and you're exactly right. We consistently are running into issues with locations. And, and this is actually something that's fascinating because it's like, okay, well, we have to change everything because in a perfect world, we could shoot on the soundstage and we're good to go. But we don't have access to the soundstage. So now we've got to find a location and now we've got to figure this out. Um, which is, you know, then the next step is how do you raise money to be able to afford going to a location well, and doing that? Let's, let's get, this is going to be a longer episode. So let's get into that next. Let me just address the, yeah, the soundstage thing. Okay. So like if I, you... if you if you go back and look at a lot of my music videos later in the time later in the years like when i was doing stuff for kill switch engage it was all soundstage stuff because we had a great relationship if you guys are back in boston you know uh red sky great relationship with red sky and ruben who's been on the show with us in the past ruben was always a great guy to work with good guy to hook us up and so we would say yes to music videos essentially uh, and really design our concepts around smaller budget music videos as uh, performance videos, understanding that like we have access to a soundstage, so we'll just do it at a soundstage, which takes 60% of the stress off the fucking plate, especially if you're doing a music video that's like a like a forced narrative. I hate those, where it's just like, you know, it's videos about a guy that came back from the war, and then he sees his wife, and he has a drug problem, tries to hang himself in the fucking bathroom. You know, how many mental videos look like that? And as you're reading that fucking treatment, you're just like, I need a fucking bathroom. I need this exterior of him in the car. And so you're just going through that stuff going like, (sighs) and if you have good cash, what you do is you hire a locations manager. That's what you do. And locations managers essentially are people that have done the legwork and gone around and set up relationships with all these different locations in that area. So if you have the cash for a good locations manager, they will go through their fucking flip book and go like, how about this place? How about that place? I love locations managers. I'm barely ever able to pay for them because the budgets always suck. You know, so when you hear filmmakers complaining about low budgets on music videos, that's the big fucking reason. It's not because I can't get a red camera or can't get lights and shit. It's because it's a goddamn nightmare to figure out the locations. And so 
with uh, uh, soundstage stuff, it makes it a bit easier. Now, take into consideration, like money has to go somewhere. So with soundstage stuff, you have to build sets. So what ends up happening is that it costs you money on the front and the back end to build sets because now you have a construction crew that's going to come in or people that have to put the sets together. And they generally have to come in one or two days ahead of time. So you're paying for all of them to come in and you're paying to feed them for that period of time. Then you're also paying for trucking services because these guys need U-Hauls and trucks to transport this stuff back and forth. And then you're paying for them for a day wrap out, for them to deconstruct the thing. And if you're not in a good relationship with that soundstage, you're paying that soundstage for that day wrap out thing. And then one thing I learned on 12KM was that after I built that set, I had to pay for a fucking dumpster to show up and trash removal and people to throw it in the fucking dumpster and throw it in the trash. And on, on who's there, I was the guy back at the house with Gina. She was scrubbing the bathrooms and I was putting chairs back together to try to appease this lady who still ended up being a pain in my ass for it. So I guess the point is, is that there isn't a cheaper way to do it. It's just which way do you have better access to? Which way do you have more resources on? Like if you've got a really good art team, if your uncle has a trucking company, uh, if you know someone that gets a good discount on fucking dumpsters, then maybe you're like, hey, I'm going to build these sets. I'm going to do it as a set thing. Or if you have uh, a cousin that's a fucking real estate agent. Uh, I, when I was back in Boston, I would make friends with all these different real estate agents, specifically. I'd invite them to my screenings. I'd invite them to my stuff because then I would get access. They would be like, hey, I've got this really great high-rise apartment that's really good. That you, Anytime you ever need to shoot, come and talk to me about that. Or, you know what I mean? So then you're making those pals to have that running. But that's in that eight-year toolbox. I guess I've never talked about it on the show, but make friends with real estate agents. Like if you drive by a house that you think is really fucking cool, go knock on their door and be like, have you ever thought about shooting here and doing this? And like legitimize yourself. Like go and get insurance policies. And insurance is always one of those things that you get where you're like, what am I doing? Why am I spending like $2,000, $3,000 a year on this fucking insurance policy? And then when you get into trouble, you know, you know exactly why you're spending that money. When, when, a, when a fucking light falls on somebody who is not supposed to be on the set and they trip over a cable and it fucking hits them on the head and the lawsuits come at you, then you know exactly why you're spending two or $3,000 a year for a fucking insurance policy. So, um, yeah. There was the that was that was my 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 tag on rant. <laughs> what's what's actually funny about all that is everything you just said is exactly what I'm experiencing right now, even to the point of the dumpsters. Yeah. Uh, and it's it yeah it sucks. Like the reality is it, it fucking sucks because I've never done any of this stuff and I'm sitting there like looking and I'm going okay what the hell do I have to do to get this and I know I'm forgetting a bunch of stuff. Um. Yeah, and then like, you're, no, you're and right. then you're it's trying that, to it's that toolbox. I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned the real estate agents because I'm sitting there going like, well, that's fucking genius. Number one, and then number two, that's something that we should be looking for right now. Exactly, and what, what the truth the truth of it is is that you don't learn these things until you do it. Like when we did uh, the Kill Switch Engage Always video, and we produced that on the East Coast, and we were shooting that down the 
the Route 1 coast here in, in California, I had only driven that coast once. Um, but we didn't know shit about permitting. And uh, I give credit to my old business partner because he took on the brunt of that. Literally went through the process of painstakingly calling because we had no idea where we were going to shoot. We had to sort of find it. It was a road trip thing. He went through the painstaking process of calling every beach on the coast weeks ahead of time and booking permits for each and every spot that who God knows if we were going to shoot there or not. Um, so uh, that's producing. That's location stuff. That That's the ugly work that goes on behind the scenes in order to get this shit done. Like anytime I meet a great producer, um, I'm good friends with, uh, like, um, I can drop his name. I'm good friends with Mike Pruss from uh, Scott Free. And he uh, is known for doing uh, like on the road kind of movies, movies in Japan, movies in all these different places. And when I talk with him, I have nothing but the utmost respect. Where he's like, "Dude, we're figuring out how to get two trains to cross at the same time today," and I'm just like, "Fuck yeah!" You know what I mean? Like right, that's yeah. the kind of that's the kind of guy that you want as your producer. That's the kind of guy that you're just like, "Fuck yes!" And you take this for granted when you watch this stuff on screen, where you see the the simplest shit, like you know. You know, uh, Emilio Estevez riding on the back of a garbage truck through a neighborhood. You know what I mean? And you're just like, well, yeah, duh, it's a simple shot. But the fact that they found a fucking garbage truck, whatever the process was for that, and then had to permit out this fucking street, and then had to permit out this area, and then where'd they put the trailers, and where'd they put the fucking people, and where'd they put the fucking porta potties, and all that shit. And so when you see it, if you have the ability to walk on like a functioning set and you look around, Take a minute to appreciate it. I know that for uh, quite some time, Gina was working for Locations, folks. What movie were you working on? You were working with, on a Vince Vaughn movie, right? You did Locations for a Vince Vaughn movie? I forget the name of that movie. Do you remember what it was? Uh, yeah, hold on. She was working for a friend of ours who was a Locations guy, and it was in um, the North End in Boston. Have you ever been to the North End in Boston? It's, a, it's incredibly tight, very sort of packed, jam-packed little Italian section that uh, is kind of built on old brick, cobblestone, walkways. There's zero fucking parking. And there is a hundred old, cranky Italian ladies. A hundred of them. And Gina's job was to go around and basically sweet-talk them all. Unfinished Business. Unfinished Business was the movie. Right? And you went around and you were just a sweet-talker to all the old... uh, Italian ladies and the old Italian guys. Mm-hmm. And you were just a PA. They were paying you what, like a PA rate for that? I think it was like 400 a day. Oh, you got a good rate for that. Yeah, yeah fucking Jesus. That was okay. a good one. That was a good one. But yeah, that's what she did. She walked around. She hung out. She handed out flyers, letting people know that, uh, you know, today at this time of the day, there might be a gunshot. You know what I mean? Um, and she was just a piece of that puzzle, like a small piece of the crew that is involved in making a shoot on location go off without a hitch. Um, so it's a pretty intense. I should get, I'm going to write this down because that guy who she worked for is one of the biggest, or his dad is one of the biggest locations guys on the East coast. I'll see if I can get him on the show. Um, but yeah, it's pretty yeah. crazy. Pretty crazy shit. I, I will say I, uh, I ran into issues with permits or not issues, but like, you know, we got all the permits and stuff like that, but that was, uh, that was last semester. 
because we were shooting a Christmas film and we were set to shoot in the middle of March. Um, <laughs> but we needed an exterior of the Christmas tree and the, the script asked for the Rockefeller Center. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, right? So we, we hopped in and, and I got onto the, I, I joined the project two weeks before we were shooting that scene. And it turned into, uh, no, it was about three weeks. It was three weeks before we shot that scene. And it went from, I read the script and I was like, there's no way we're getting Rockefeller Center, especially during COVID, in one of the biggest spikes of uh, outbreaks in New York City. Not going to happen. <laughs> um, and so, so and, and we got hit. We got hit with, uh, like our production had to, had to deal with COVID because um, we didn't get Rockefeller. We sent the emails. We asked for permits and stuff like that. And they came back and said, you can shoot here. It's $10,000 an hour. <laughs> you can shoot for eight hours. <laughs> and I, I looked at, I, I sent that to my director and I was like, so you still want to shoot there? And he's like, no, <laughs> what other options do we have? I was like, okay, let's look at other parks. Uh, um, but dude, part of the reason why they hit that price, and I've talked to a lot of different locations, people, they hit you with that price at the startup, it's ridiculous, but they do it to weed guys like you guys out. That's oh, essentially why they do it. it. Essentially, won't be that price. Like if you're someone that goes in there and you're working and you have a real budget, you can talk them into a real budget price. Um, but that's just to weed out all the kids. That's really right. What that is. And, and you know what? I never wanted to shoot there, so I was fine with leaving it at that uh, and turning to the director and being like, "This is." this is the price. Are we able to afford that? And he's like, of course we aren't. I was like, of course we aren't. So let's look at other places. And we were able to find something that, because even after communicating with them and doing stuff like that with COVID restrictions on a private property in New York, I'm not, I'm not trying to mess with that. When I know we can get a public spot, we can still be safe and all that stuff. But in addition to that, we're not paying X number of dollars. We're able to walk in and, and, you know, handle it. And we were, we got a great park, um, I can't remember what the name of the park was, but it was uh, it was actually right by NYU. It's like the park that NYU is kind of built around. Oh yeah, the um, one with the one with the arches there, right? Yeah, I want to, and we shot at those arches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's a great. And park. there's this huge Christmas tree. I think it's Bryant. I want to say Bryant Park, but I don't think that's it. I'm not going to remember it. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. But it was um, it, it was it was amazing. I mean, it fit the uh, it fit the creative perfectly. It fit our budget. We were able to go in, get the permit, no problem. I talked to the uh, uh, the director of the parks and all that stuff. They had bathrooms on location. Nice. Uh, and then uh, literally the night before the shoot, I found out from my roommate that he had contracted COVID. Ugh. And so I called up uh, the, the school and I was like, because you have to report. And I was like, I've had contact with someone who had COVID. But... He got the positive test on a day when I had already been quarantining because it was finals week. And so I didn't have contact with the guy. And then I left and I, I was picking up all the gear and all the, uh, the stuff and he got tested and that's when he, his te positive test came up. So I slept in my car that night uh, to not even go home. And then I got tested the next morning and tested negative again. So I was good to go. But again, with CU uh, CUNY bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. They were like, it doesn't matter if you're living with somebody who tested positive for COVID, you're not allowed to go on set. 
And so now it's now now there's another wrench in the situation. So what did we do? We we made sure everybody was there. We made sure that there was no contact uh, drop off points and stuff like that for things that needed to get on set. We had people that were on set that weren't me <laughs> uh, doing things that I would have done on set, and I was communicating remotely with them to make sure that things were going well. We were getting we weren't getting like a, a live feed or anything like that, but we were getting uh, screen grabs and photos and all that stuff on set. Uh, we were getting food delivered to make sure that it was good to go. Like everything we could do, we had to because that's what we had to do. Mm-hmm. That's just because there was no other way. That was, yeah, the but shoot was happening, and that's what we had to do. This comes back down to my point, though, that you're a driven fucking dude. So, like, when I, t- when, when I say that thing earlier in the episode where it's all drive and it has to be drive, and you guys are just rolling your fucking eyes, this is where it pays. This is where it comes to, to flourish. It is, is that you could have easily done the typical, which is like, well, I guess I can't shoot, so I'm done, I'm out. And you didn't. You still put this thing together. And that's why I think you'll be successful. It's it's because there are a hundred reasons. Right now, you guys have decided to shoot during like the worst fucking time to, to the point where much bigger production companies than you guys are, huger places are just coming out of the woodwork and saying, hey, everybody, pump the fucking brakes. Let's just chill. I'm going on vacation because of COVID. So a lot of these huge places don't even want to deal with it. Because it's a nightmare. Just the insurance policy alone for fucking shooting during COVID will put your shit. Like I've got uh, a couple guys that were on the show. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I've got a couple of uh, directors that are on the show that were about to start a movie right after they talked to me. A great movie right after they talked to me. And they were going to go like Portugal, Puerto Rico, something like that. And I thought they had left. And so I reached out to them. He's like, nope. We heard it was going to be a million dollars for the insurance policy. And we said, fuck it. Like we're not doing it until COVID's done. Um, that, that's one of the reasons why my movie's not happening right now. It's because COVID. So and, it, even at my level, dude, there's a lot of students that backed out and said they're not shooting their theses until after COVID, and the school is abiding by it. They they are allowing students to uh, get the diplomas and then come back and shoot their thesis projects uh, once you wow. know COVID restrictions let up. Wow, that's Which, crazy. You know, there aren't many schools that are doing that. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and even with the fact that, you know, we're getting restrictions with um, whether or not we're able to shoot on set, multiple professors of mine are sitting there going like, look, if you have a legitimate proposal that we can bring up because we're all trying to work with you, it's not the professors that are saying no, right? It's the school that's saying no. It's not it's even- the biz- It's the business. Yeah. It's the business. It's the business. It's the business. So, yeah. You know, we're all working together to figure out how are we solving this. Um, and a lot of people are fierce. I mean, I've been in conversations with directors I'm working with who are sitting there going like, if I can't shoot on the soundstage, I'm, I'm dropping out. Yeah. Because we're paying, the reality is we're paying an excellence fee to get access to that space. And then we're being told we can't get access to that space. So, I mean, that, the two-ish. The, I mean, that area is worth it. That's kind of like what I was saying in the episode that you adamantly hate. Uh, with about, <laughs> yeah. I was going to argue that, but no, I do adamantly hate that. Yeah, yeah. With New York Film Academy having their spot, uh, which I think is now closed, having their spot next to Warner Brothers, like Steinway Studios is amazing. I literally color graded. Was it who's there? No, I color graded twelve km at Steinway, one of their one of their color grading facilities, which was like a theater, 
which was amazing. You got to sit in the center of a theater and do all that stuff. That place is fucking phenomenal. So, you know, going and paying to go to that school and then not getting access to that stuff. Yeah, fuck yeah. I'd be like, no, I'm not doing this shit now. I'm going to do this shit you, later. You know? When you say Steinway, are you talking about my school? Or Steiner, whatever it is. Steiner, right? yeah, Steiner. yeah Steiner. Steiner. Steinway is the fucking piano company. Steiner. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I want to see the piano place. Uh, there's a big story about... I can get into a, a side tangent on Steinway. That's really cool. But remind me for another but, episode. All right. Well, but I will say that, yeah. No, the Steiner lot, dude, going on the Steiner lot is infectious. It's, it's cool. It's, it's like a drug. And every time I'm there, I just I just want to stay there. And yeah. I don't want to leave. But but that's why I'm going to school there. Yeah. It's because that's, right? It's the romanticism and granted even a robot. But, you know. <laughs> You just Ro- downloaded your new firmware. It's like romance firmware. <laughs> I'm dreaming of those electric sheep. <laughs> Liam's like, I have feelings. <laughs> Y'all go fuck yourselves. Uh, but no, it, it it is that thing. And then and then the question of you know, what do we do now that we're here? And and how do we how do we how do we do this stuff that we signed up for? Yeah, because. We, we signed up, and you, you've said this to me off air a bunch of times, like, well, you signed up for that shit. It's like, I did. Um, and that means that I got to do it. I'm not happy about it, but, but that- I would rather be the guy who made a bunch of uh, student projects in a time where so many of us, are, so many of my classmates and so many of people that uh, signed up are sitting there going, well, I can't do that. Yeah. Well, I, I can't do that. I just can't do it. And it's like, well, that's fine. Then don't. But I'm probably, I'm pretty sure I can. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, where are we at? We're at like an hour and 24. So what? Oh my God. You just pulled the where are we at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, dude, you're trying to keep us on track here, man. Um, no. So what did you want to talk about? Did you want to talk about uh, fundraising? Is that what you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I did want to talk about fundraising. Guys, everyone. Literally, the conversation was, can we have an episode about fundraising? <laughs> there we go. Hour and 25 minutes in. That's supposed to be about. Hour and 25 minutes in. That's why these are bonus episodes. If you guys have a problem with it at home, go fuck yourself. These are free. <laughs> these are bonus episodes. Um, yeah, so what did you want to know? No, I'm just like, look, because, uh, you know, full disclosure to everyone, we're creating a GoFundMe for this. And I know that we're sitting here and I literally just said, like, you know, I'm going to do this whether or not other people are able to. And that's the reality. We're going to have to figure out how to produce this. Um, but one of the things is we're broke and and the school, what we thought we were able to get access to just isn't there. And so now we need to find money that we don't have. And that's fine. But uh, one of the things, instead of me just coming on and and trying to use this platform as a way to just kind of shill money off of people, I thought it would be a cooler idea to have a conversation with you about, you know, our plans uh, for creating a GoFundMe, but then also talking to you about like your Kickstarters mm-hmm. and okay. seeing what you did. And so, cause I know I, I, I don't think we've had an episode about fundraising or crowdfunding. No, I, I know we've talked about it, but I don't think it's ever, maybe we've teased it, but I, you know, what is it? Yeah. 100, 120 episodes? I don't know. I'm getting old. Yeah, I don't think I don't yeah. think we <laughs> right right. If we if we have we haven't had it in a while, and we we haven't had one that was really focused on the nitty gritty of this stuff um, since I've been part of this. Yeah. 
so yeah, I'm just kind of I'm kind of curious like what your process was building that that Kickstarter and then possibly discussing like where we're at with our project because we're gonna drop this. I mean, we got to drop it in like the next couple of days. It might be it might exist by the time this episode comes out. I think. Okay. Um, well, let me take a quick pee break and then we'll get back into it. That way, I won't be so. Uh... I won't be so aggressive because I I'm pinching off uh, a piss right now. So I gotta go oh my take God, it. You're gonna make me fucking edit this episode. <laughs> no, you don't have to edit it. You just leave it going. Just put some music on. All right, you're right. Okay, so Kickstarter, fundraising. Um, Let me say this. I think this is the best way to get into it. Uh, If you, listening, if I come to you and I ask you for money, so if I come to you and ask for fundraising for a project, which notice that we haven't done so with this podcast, but if I come to you and ask you for cash and I say, hey, look, I'm going to do a project, I'm going to do a Kickstarter, I'm going to do a GoFundMe, I'm going to do something. Here's what you can expect. One, your money is going to go towards something that I can't afford, which means it's going to be fucking cool. It's going to look cooler than anything that you've seen me give you for free. So if I come to you and I ask you for cash, it's because I need it, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is, What I'm going to give you, because I know we're all little snowflakes that are so used to getting our shit for free. You guys literally grew up during Napster, you know, where you could steal shit. So I know the actual product itself is worthless to you. I know the idea of paying to go see a movie or paying to download a movie and just watch a film. You guys don't want to pay for that, you know? Is that the right or wrong thing? I'm not judging you out loud. Um, But know this, that if you were to pay for something with me, you're not just getting a movie, you're getting an experience. You're getting access to how we do it. You're getting access to uh, the thought process and the excitement level that comes with it. You're getting access to all of the really fun and cool advertising because at the end of the day, as a moviegoer, we want to be fucking excited, right? 
Like when you go and you watch a movie on the movie, like on, on the big screen, usually like watching the trailers going, this movie's gonna fucking rock, right? How many of you are pumped about Dune right now? Or how many of you were pumped about the trailer for uh, the new fucking Star Wars movie? It's because of the advertising. So you're gonna, be, you're gonna have access to all of the insider info and all that stuff, right? And then I'm gonna also offer up limited edition things, whether it's art, whether it's t-shirts, it isn't just going to be a link to the film, right? That's usually the last thing because that's the, the thing that most people regard regard the last. They feel like it's the, 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 they should get that for free, which I don't believe in, first off. So if you are going to give money to one of my projects, you're going to get all that stuff, right? And I think that's the trick to running a successful campaign is that you have to think of the people that are going to donate to it as you, as how you think about movies, how you think about this stuff. And for me, growing up as a kid that was a comic book collector, growing up as a kid that would spend money on variant covers, I mean, fuck, I just spent $200 on comic books the other day. I haven't been comic book shopping in six months. And I walked in there and I bought all sorts of variant covers. I was like super excited about it. Got all this stuff. Um, that's important to folks. Vinyls are important to people. The collector's editions of vinyls and waxworks and all this different stuff. Mondo posters, all that stuff. People love to feel like they're a part of a film that they love. People love to feel like um, they contributed to that. I mean, before I knew Big Black Delta, and he doesn't even know this, before I knew him, I contributed to one of his Kickstarter campaigns for one of his album releases. And... Uh, I was super pumped to sp spend a certain amount of money to have my name on that album as a contributor. So like, I, you know, next time I hang out with him, I'll have to pull it out uh, and just go like, here's my name. <laughs> I contributed to your work. I'm very excited about your work. Before we even met, I was very excited about your work. Um, that's part of the excitement of cinema. That's part of the excitement and the, the magic of making movies and enjoying movies and adjusting movies. And yes, we live in a time period right now where a lot of that excitement just doesn't exist the same way, where it's like, what's well, on on Netflix today? Cool, there's a little ad for this fucking thing. So this is one of the last places that you can get that. That connection with filmmakers is through crowd, crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, that whole thing. You get to be a part of that club. You get to be those nerds that you read about that you've never actually been able to be a part of that go to a screening that is an advanced screening. Uh, one of the packages that we did for 12KM was, uh, I called it the Director's Inner Circle, which is not a very original name, but I called it the Director's Inner Circle, in which the folks that contributed to that got to see rough cuts. They got to see rough cuts and they would give feedback on my edits. And there were a handful of people that did that. And that was like a, a high-priced fucking thing. It was like a, over a thousand bucks. And I had a handful of people that were doing that consistently. Not only did that help me pay for my project, but it also really gave me good insider fucking audience reactions for my stuff. And it worked really fucking well. So if you're doing a Kickstarter campaign or if you're doing a GoFundMe, or if you're doing one of these things, you have to understand right off the bat that you have decided to do two different projects. You've decided to make a movie and you've decided to run a fundraising campaign. They're two different things. People are not going to be pumped to get a DVD from you. 
<laughs> no one gives a fuck about those anymore. People aren't going to be pumped to get a link to see the movie. Most of the time, you have to beg those people to watch your fucking movie. You know? What they are excited about is your passion, the way you sell it, the way you project this thing. Um, and that will be your first step in running a semi-successful Kickstarter campaign. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, you have to you have to you have to be smart about how you roll things out, right? So I don't know. It's been a while since I've done any sort of. It's been over six years since I've done something. So take take that into consideration. Um, but when we did our Kickstarter, uh, the the thing that you have to remember is that your main source of income is going to come from the people that you know. That's the main source of it. You're not gonna start up a Kickstarter without Ryan Gosling in the fucking lead and get like a, like a, you know, 4,000 strangers that you don't know to contribute to it. It just ain't gonna happen. Like the, the, the main place that you're gonna get most of your financing is from your current social media connections. So that's, that's the main source. So what you'll be able to do is do your initial push, like the first week of push on it, right? Where you, where you reach out to everybody that you know. Hey, everybody, I've got this really great Kickstarter campaign, a really good GoFundMe campaign. I've designed really cool graphics to promote it. I've got like a really cool uh, video that explains the project. Uh, so here's here it is. Uh, we love a, a contribution from you, $15, $20 to make this happen, right? So your first donators are like your parents, your cousins, your, your friends, you know, people that have a little bit of extra cash kicking around. Could be whoever this motherfucker is driving this truck down the street. Uh, could also be a donator for it. Um, but that goes away. First week happens, you get a chunk, right? And you're like, wow, people are really sort of investing in this thing. It's really great. Week two, what's your plan for week two? What's your next rollout? Are you rolling out new incentives? Are you rolling out, uh, if you're smart, You've actually had articles written about your project from different places, and those articles are advertising and rolling that out for week two. And maybe in week two, friends of your family, friends of your friends are now contributing. But the numbers are starting to dwindle, right? Week three kicks in. They tank. They fucking tank. Your numbers go down completely because you've done it. You've hit your entire circle of friends on your social media accounts. Like you've stressed it out. So it's finished. Now here's where there's the difference between successful campaign runners and unsuccessful campaign runners. The unsuccessful ones are trying incredibly hard to get strangers to continue to contribute to them. So they're out there trying to find, not only trying to fucking fundraise, but they're trying to find new friends and new followers at the same time. And there's nothing worse than being a new follower that shows up and goes, this motherfucker just wants my money, right? So you're not getting that from them. So the trick is add-on incentives. The move is doing add-on incentives. So let's say your first incentive, like 20 bucks, obviously you get to see the movie. Uh, you get like a, a sketch print. Like for me, I had a bunch of really great concept artists like Ben Templesmith, uh, Orlando Baez, like all these people doing stuff for 12cam. So I had all this really cool artwork. Right, I had Lyndon Gledhill, who was the uh, the biochemist, 
he had already shot a bunch of like these really cool oily shots and all this stuff for the effects. So I made prints of those and he donated those to the thing. So you donate like $20, you can get access to one of these prints, right? Um, and uh, you get your name in the credits and a link. So then week three, I do an add-on thing where I'm like, I can't remember the specifics, but it's like, we just released these new t-shirts. So if you want to get a t-shirt plus all this other stuff, you can donate $40 and you'll get a t-shirt plus a print plus this. And if you're an already existing donator, you can just tack on $30 to your last donation and get the t-shirt and get this and get that. And so then week four, you do an additional add-on where we've just booked a screening that's gonna be at this date after we finish this thing. And if you want to be one of the few that go to this screening, right, it'll cost you $150 to donate for this thing. But if you're a previous donor and you just tack on 60 bucks, then you get to go. See what I'm doing here? So at, yes. the, <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, you're really getting the money from a small group of people who are already your fucking contacts. Now, if you're smart and you have the foresight because you're a fucking genius and most people don't, you're working really hard on your social media contacts before you even do this project. I get shit all the time where it's like, Mike, why are you uh, constantly on Instagram? Why are you looking for new folks? Why are you following new people? What are you doing? I have no plans for a new project, but I just know after doing enough Kickstarter campaigns that having your audience built is important for that specific reason. You need to have a lot of folks at your disposal for that. Now, maybe you don't. Maybe you're listening right now, like Liam is, and you're like, fuck, I don't have a huge connection of people. I don't have all these folks. Who do you have in your film? Who are you casting in your film? There's a reason why Hollywood studios add value to actors, which is mind-blowing to me sometimes, because I'm like, this actor sucks. How does this actor have so much value? Oh, they had a really good episode of fucking Late Night with Jimmy Kimmel and they fucking, or, or uh, with Jimmy Fallon and they fucking murdered it and that had so many clicks and likes and they, all those people started to follow that person. Well, if that person's in your movie, then you have them access their fucking social media accounts. And so I know if you're in film school, right, you know, a majority of you have at best, what is it like if you're just dealing with your actual context, generally the best that you can do is like 2,000, 3,000 follows? followers based upon if you haven't really been pushing you know um mm -hmm. so maybe you get access to those folks and then you start doing the math on that and you're like all right so maybe i get five percent of those people interested in what it is that i'm talking about and then throw into the loop fucking instagram's bullshit algorithm fucking crap which is a whole nother fucking irritation um so at the end of the day i guess you know between the fucks and the rants here um you have to remember that you are going to rely on your contacts to finance your pieces. That makes sense? I mean, to me, 100%, dude. And, and actually, in my undergrad, that's why I specifically cast certain talent, because I knew that they had a larger social media following than I did. Smart. And, and, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't even do any crowdfunding or stuff like that. We just knew that we wanted to market the film, and so we wanted to get somebody who had a following in it, um, which is why I cast them. And then, of course, they're fucking talented, so that helped. But 
it uh yeah that was part of it and then i mean for for this project what we're looking at is specifically uh like target audiences right and i know one of the big things is uh understanding your audience and understanding subsects of uh market uh market demographics and finding uh oh what's the thing called interest groups right is it interest groups Mm-hmm. or kind something where the, you're trying yeah. to you're trying to market your film specifically yeah specifically to interest groups and we have that built into this project in particular with the fact that uh our our director has a glass eye <laughs> and the concept is about getting surgery uh on your eye so you can get a glass eye so he has an actual glass eye uh, yeah, so the director, she, she does have a glass eye. Okay. And, uh, and she's Brazilian. And cool. she's, a, like, you know, she's an award-winning filmmaker. And I kind of say that with the thing. But she is an award-winning winning filmmaker. That only has so much clout. She's super talented. I'm very pleased to be working with all the talented people that I'm working with. However, sitting there and saying, like, you know, award-winning filmmaker, those words are now buzzwords, I sure. feel, on social media. Sure, no one gives a fuck about that. No right, nobody gives a fuck. Like, let's be honest. Nobody gives a fuck. But, um, but I, will however, s- I will say this, though. Yes. I will say this. You might be saying this. Uh, I want to hear how she got her glass eye. Right. And that's the thing, is that she's, she's very open and honest about this. And this script is about the experience that she had going into that surgery. How old because is she? How old is she? She's, uh, she's in her early 20s. And she's she's got a fucking... Okay, so there's a story there, man. And that's what the film is. The film is the story. Fascinating, okay. Oh, dude. Dude, on top of that, it's a horror film, and it's like super Guillermo del Toro style. I mean, like, we're talking monsters in there. We've got this, like... There's a character, it's called the Venusian Boy, that's kind of creepy and walks in and, uh, you know, super... There's makeup on the eyes. It doesn't have eyes. And uh, it's kind of guiding her through this like dream world that she's going through. And it's, uh, or excuse me, he, in the script, it's about a girl, but we've, uh, we've cast an individual who is, uh, the, the, it's an actor who is male and the actor has, uh, has the, a similar situation where he's got a glass eye and he's got one eye. Whoa, whoa, that, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. So your director has a glass eye. Correct. And then your actor has a glass eye. Correct. Is there like a, is there like a support group that they're both a part of? Like, how the fuck no. did you get two people with glass eyes involved with this movie? My co-producer knew this guy, <laughs> uh, this actor. Okay. All right. Crazy. I like it. Continue. Dude, I I jumped on when they said it was a horror film. It was like the only pitch in the class that was a horror film. And then she was sitting there saying like, look, I've got, I've got a glass eye in here. Uh, and I can literally read this, uh, this like script that she put in an email because she knows that a bunch of her fucking, uh, her, her producers don't know the, uh, the setup. So she's like, she was born blind in one eye. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, she uh, ended up having this surgery because I guess when you're born with blind, uh, blind with one eye, uh, if you're going to put a glass eye on, it fucks with your equilibrium oh. unless you have a specific surgery. So the glass eye will fit properly. Wow. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sorry, so, sorry. So that's, that's the creative, right? And now it's about like, we have 
a subsect of a market, like switching back to the producing sort of thing, there are specific, it's not just, you know, my friends and my family that I can target. I have a, a subsect of a market that this appeals to. What, what people with glass eyes? Yeah. I mean, like essentially, yeah. Is that a huge market? No, but it's a fucking, <laughs> I, so, so right. It's those micro markets and it, yeah, it, yeah, even totally, it's social totally. media content, right? Because it's somebody who has for the past couple of years focused on uh, doing client work for social media content. It's, you don't, you don't target huge groups. Like you don't target males 18 to 24. Right. You, you target males 18 to 24 who are obsessed with Marvel and horror films, but like psycho, uh, psychedelic horror films. So, and, and really appreciate the history of, uh, of, um, uh, the television and how sitcoms have, have, gone from 1950 to 2000s and you get something like WandaVision. Right. Okay. So psychedelic horror films is actually a really great subset of that. I think that's really interesting. Um, to pause this for a second yeah, here and sort of talk about how the sausage is made. Okay. Mm-hmm. What you have going for you is a story that is interesting. So your director has a glass eye, your lead actor has a glass eye. This has got something to do with it. Now, you'd have to be dead not to go like, what? You know what I mean? So that's good. So that's the right. first thing. This is what, okay, this is what got 12KM into development for me. So I made a great short. I crowdfunded a great thing. If you go online because of me running the contest that I have with the thing, I think I have like almost 300 reviews, solid reviews on IMDb for the short film because of this stuff, right? So you run all that stuff. Then I get to sit in an amazing office with an amazing production company. And I sit across from this production company. They've seen the movie. They've seen all that stuff. And the reason, and they read the script, the reason why that movie went into development was because of my head injury story. It's the reason why I got picked up. 100% was the head injury. And because I had that head injury and I was able to talk about how it influenced the movie and how I wrote the movie when I went through the whole process of that, that story got it picked up because it was a story that connected with uh, the producers. It was a story that connects with people. It's a story that's about perseverance. It's a story that's strange. It's got a lot of fear-based stuff into it. Like, what? what the fuck? That is what got it picked up. More so than like, he made a great movie. He has a great script. He's got all that stuff. So the lesson here that you guys are also sitting on is that fucking eye story. It's it's like, that's the key. That's the fucking key to sort of circle this stuff around because other than that, you guys are a bunch of film students. How many fucking film students make film uh, uh, short films? And there's a uh, a stamina, that or not a stamina, but a, um, what's stigma. the word? Stigma, thank you. There's a stigma that comes with uh, student films where it's like they're either going to be fucking pretentious or pompous or they're still trying to figure their shit out. So it's going to be difficult to sit through, right? So whenever I see like student films are raising money for something, I'm just like, our students are raising money for film. I'm like, okay, what kind of movie is this? Uh, So if you can transcend that and you're advertising it not as a student film, but you're advertising it as a, is this a short? This is a short, right? This is a short, yeah. Is there a feature in mind or is it just a standalone short? 
<laughs> I don't give a shit if the director has a feature in mind. I have a feature in mind okay. with this. As the producer, as a co-producer on this, I absolutely want to see this be bigger. Yeah. So then it's all about the story. It's all about the narrative. It's all about like how the glass eye plays into it, how the glass eye affects everybody that's working on this thing, how the glass eye came to be. Uh, if you were, this is deep into the sausage. If you were a little bit more manipulative, maybe that glass eye story is a bit different and more interesting. But uh, as you go through the process of designing this thing, that's what the focus is. And so then you're like doing a campaign that's like, here's what an x-ray of my head, or here's, here's medical documents of what it's like to install an eye. Here's an installation graphics on how to install a fucking glass eye. So that then you're really sort of playing into the, the morbid curiosity around that glass eye. So now people are fascinated with it. And did you know, and maybe you sit down and you do an interview with a doctor that talks about the effects of a glass eye and all those sort of things. And now you're, you have this as subject material. You now have this as releases that you're putting out every week where it's like we actually sat down with the head eye doctor that fucking blah, 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 and he talks about this and it's fascinating right so fascinating interview or um you're talking about the designs of like the glass eye that you're going to use in this piece or whatever the fuck it is you're just circling around that like when i had the head injury i was super excited to ask my doctor for the cat scans because I'm like, can I have all the CAT scans, please? Can I have digital copies of them? Because I'm able to actually post the CAT scans. I, I don't know how many people were fascinated with what was going on in my brain because of that. And that in itself is a release that people are like, fascinating, cool. Because you're consistently trying to get attention back to your campaign, back to your Kickstarter campaign, back to your fucking GoFundMe. And so you do this. How long are you guys doing your GoFundMe for? Uh, the reality is... Look, we're shooting at the end of the month. Okay, that's that's the that's the reality. But I don't see the GoFundMe stopping when production starts. Well, you may want to consider putting a. One of the things that I learned was helpful is that if you actually have a deadline, then you have people scrambling, and then people know that there's a that there is also a plan in place, like a structure in place, so they're not just pissing in the wind. You know, okay. so like you, I would definitely consider that. Look into it and, you know, make your own decision on it. But at the time, it really helped me because then I, the, I there was a plan. That. And, I, and I don't want to sit here and say like, you know, oh, I plan this to go on for six months. That's not the case. It's just that everything that we're talking about, like we we just started coming up with the idea for it. And, and essentially, we pushed for the locations uh, and to be able to shoot in at school up until this week and then we just kind of had to accept that we need to pivot and so now it's and this so is, this and is so starting. you need this money for what for locations we need this for locations um yeah essentially we need this for locations that's and, what it is and what are so great about these locations it's that they exist and <laughs> well, yeah. i know i know i'm really fucking selling it here <laughs> no but the reality is that we're looking we have some locations that we can't afford that would just absolutely kill yeah, uh, yeah. They, they fit the uh, they fit the creative. They it's just we're not able to get them because we can't afford them, and we plan to build them. Like that was our hope was to build them uh, in school, 
There is, you mentioned a soundstage. We have access to a soundstage that isn't at school, uh, but it is going to be expensive. Right. And we can do what we plan to do at school, but it's going to cost. Right. So then what you do is you share your dot, you share what you're going to build, you share whatever sketches you have for that, whatever concept art that you might have for that, what, what your plan is, what your references are. You have to really bring the audience into this world that I know you're very excited about. Uh, so you have to sort of take them and put them in your brain and get them as excited as you are with this to the point where they go, look, of course you need to get this stage. Of course I'm going to give you five, 10, whatever, how much, whatever you guys are asking for, for the lowest price. Of, right, right. of course I'm going to throw that at you. And also taking into consideration that we're in COVID and people are on unemployment. So surprisingly, people have extra money to spend that they weren't getting before. Hey, look, man, those stimulus checks came in. We're getting another 1400 <laughs> I'm not asking for any of that stuff because that's fucked up, but like it exists. No, but, but you know, it, it's funny that you say that in getting like the art and stuff like that. One of the first things I did when I got us, like, you know, the, the directors pitched uh, these ideas and then the producers basically had to convince the directors that we were the right choice for that. Mm -hmm. uh, for them and like we were the right uh, uh, partnership and the first thing I did when I I tried to pitch that was look we need to get all of our references because the director clearly had a vision of what she wanted and what she was seeing and she gave us this huge dump of references just I mean it was I want to say we have like 500 uh, photos and stuff and you know like I, we've curated it down and things like that and we have a good idea but exactly what you're talking about it's like what is the vision what is the idea getting into the brain of that we did that from the beginning because I, I didn't assume that we were going to be raising funds for it but we wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page and kind of putting the creatives into the same brain waves well dude and at the uh, oh yeah okay so at the end of the day the director it really is going to fall on that because People don't give, you know, I hate to tell you, Liam, people don't give a fuck about the producers. You know what no, I mean? That's why I'm here. So like they, they just don't. So at the, at the <laughs> end of the day, you're buying into the artist's vision. That's what you're doing. You're buying into that. So, um, and the artist has to be a good salesperson. And, you know, you say that she's got like 500 plus reference photos and all that stuff. That just needs to be curated. That needs to be curated and there needs to be, this is the difference between making the movie and doing a fundraising campaign. It needs to be curated on the fundraising side to actually uh, not only stimulate curiosity, but to tell a story through that fundraising process. And if you're good at it, um, you really pull people in. And you can hear this with, like I'm okay at it. I would, I would hope I'm better because people continue to tune into the show. I can, you know, spin a, a, a yarn <laughs> that people are interested in, but there are folks that are really good at it. Like I, I was just listening to, uh, this morning, the, uh, empire podcast, the empire film podcast with uh, Edgar Wright and Tarantino. It's brand new. It just came out. Wow. And, uh, I, I can go on about this. I should, but, um, Tarantino is so fucking good at spinning a yarn. He really is. He's so good at it. He knows how to pause his statements. He knows how to drop hints at where he's going to go. He does a really good job with it. He can sell you. He'll have people like go finding toilet paper for him. You know what I mean? Like he, he knows how to do it. He knows how to do it really fucking well. 
Um, and you really have to examine that stuff. And it's in how you talk about it. When do you drop the glass eye? And how do you drop the glass eye? And how did it make you feel when you learned about the glass eye for the first time? You know? And it's trying to find that connection to the audience that where the audience sits there and goes, this is fucking weird. This is cool. This is fascinating. Or I get it too. I had an accident once where this happened. The producers that picked me up for the 12KM, him and I got into a conversation because after I told him my head injury story, he told me about a car accident that he got into where he slammed into a fire hydrant which punctured into his car. I think his car flipped. I might be fucking this up. But his car flipped, punctured into a fire hydrant upside down, and started to fill the car and drown him in the vehicle. Wow. And he, he told that story. So most of our meeting was us talking about these two stories together and being like, fuck. And then uh, when I was on my deathbed, this is what I was thinking about. When I was on my deathbed, this is what I was thinking about. And you go, calm and bond, fuck yeah. There it is. You know? And it, that came from a truly honest place between the two of us. So we're not being very calculating and manipulative about it. But there's a level of manipulation like you, any filmmaker has where you're, you're building a story, you're, you're spinning a yarn, um, and you need to do that with your with your Kickstarter stuff. And you have to be smart about it. You know, and we've done it. I, well, back in the day, I was involved with two that were successful. I did my personal one for 12KM, which was successful. And then my business partner did his for um, The Godfathers of Hardcore, which was successful for a different reason. Because it was uh, tackling an audience that currently existed with a, with a major band. But mine was just people that knew me. And what did we? What did I raise? I rose. I think it was sixteen thousand. I think I rose sixteen sixteen thousand. And then I ended up putting in a bunch of my own money, almost more than double that for for the the final aspect of it. But I think I rose sixteen thousand in like four weeks, maybe something like that. Um, so it can be done. That was the first Kickstarter that we ever did. So it can totally be done. And like you just have to really be somebody who will give money to other folks and why and ask yourself why would I give money to other people? Why did I give money to Big Black Delta? Right? I could have just bought his CD afterwards. Why did I do it? Because I love the vibe that he sets. I love the music. And I wanted to be a part of that. And I wanted to be attached to that. And I know a lot of my biggest fans, and you guys, big shout out to you guys that listen and continuously listen to the show, but also support everything I do, they want to be a part of it. And I welcome that. I welcome them to be a part of it because it's so much fucking fun. And what we do is a lot of fun to be a part of. And that's the message that you need to be conveying with this, is that you don't just need to be a part of this student film, right? This is step one. This is step one in a long career. And if you're talking about yourself, you're like, this is step one is Liam as a producer and all these amazing, because you're doing fucking amazing things as a young producer in, in school, like amazing things, buddy. So I appreciate it. Buddy. This is only step one for you. This is step one or step two or whatever you're at. Uh, imagine five years from now. Imagine 10 years from now. And if you're anybody that really enjoys their fans like me, I can guarantee you right now, back in the day when you bought my old school Grindhouse stuff, I actually, in my Grindhouse kit, gave out little cards that were fan club cards. I still, and that was 16 years ago, I still hold those true. 
So if you reach out to me and you have a fan club card, you'll get access to whatever you want. Because you bought it initially. And if I did a screening, which I will do, I'll do screenings in specific towns. I've already got arrangements where I'll go there. And if you have a fan club card, or if you're someone that has been a fan of me on the podcast, chances are you'll go to that screening for free. Chances are you'll get the opportunity to go to that screening. Because of that, that's what I'm buying. If I can go back in time and David Fincher did this shit and he was uh, doing ad campaigns or he was doing social media content and I could be in his club then, Edgar Wright, if I could be in his club, you bet your fucking ass I would throw down $20. I would throw down $40 because I want to be a part of that. Now, granted, I'm in a weird position where I'm now bros with Big Black Delta, which is crazy. But even if I wasn't, I, would, I still felt like I was a part of that. I still felt like I was a part of what he was making. And that's why I threw money at him to do that. And you have to remember as a filmmaker, that's what people, that's the only reason why people are going to do that these days. Sure, there may be like the outlier who's like, it's a social justice film. And I believe in that social justice. So I want to support that social justice. That's a big reason why that's a big part of the marketing campaign these days. Sure, you could go that route. But I think the longer running success story for fundraising is making sure that you're opening up to your fans, to your future fans, to your supporter. I know first name basis, my first fans. Like it's, it's important to me, you know? And so take that into consideration when you're putting together your, your fundraising things. Create incentives that will nourish that. That makes sense, dude. One hundred percent. And honestly, I—it's it, funny because you have to have an ego, right? You have to have an ego to sit there and say, "Give me money now, and wait until you see what else I'm gonna fucking make." And you are gonna love the fact that you jumped in at the beginning of this. Y- y- yes, I mean. I like, let's be honest, right? You have to have an ego about that, but that doesn't mean that the ego is bad. It doesn't mean that the ego is, you know, superficial or anything like that. It just means that you're betting on yourself and you're convincing other people to bet on yourself. You you, got to do that no matter what, but yes, I understand exactly what you're saying. And the problem is that ego is a negative connotation that happens. It's, there's this fine line between ego, asshole, and confidence. And you have to run that line. Where you're just like, what's the difference between a dick and an asshole? <laughs> well, is that honestly, was that just a joke or do you want to know? Like, I can tell. No, I, I, look, I, I, I feel like we've had this conversation before between us, but let's talk about it because there, that, that's actually a good, there's a good difference between what you say, ego, asshole, and confidence. Yeah, because I've, I've crossed the line on all of them. And you can't figure it out until you do. Right? Because it's this weird game. You have to find confidence. You have to have false confidence when you start. Because you don't know if you can do it. Right? You don't know if it, you don't know. And the only way that you can do it is if you tell somebody that you can do it. Right? Because no one's gonna like suddenly hand you a budget and hand you a crew of fucking people. So you kind of have to bullshit your way into your first one. And even people today, like people I've had on the show are just still bullshitting their way into stuff. Because it's like you've never had the opportunity to do it. So then what you're doing is you're building confidence. You're actually sitting there going, I have confidence in myself that I can handle this situation. I can figure out a way to make this work. 
I am confident enough with my skills to make this happen. So that's confidence, right? Ego, you need a sense of ego whenever you're advertising, whenever you're marketing yourself. If you get yourself an agent, if you get yourself anybody, there's, there has to be a level of ego involved where you're just like, I'm good at what I fucking do. Generally, I'm good at what I do. I know that I can make a great movie. I know that I can deliver a great film. And ego is something that is built over experience, right? So you do a screening, your first screening sucks and everything falls flat and you just want to cry and hide in the back of the room. Then you learn from that. You do your next screening and there's a couple laughs in there. You do your next screening and then the audience is screaming at stuff and you go, fuck yeah. Now you're starting to build a bit of an ego, right? Because you're just like, I am good at this. It isn't just the confidence that I have for it, but it's paying off, man. Like, how many people in this room liked what you just saw? And the hands go up. How many people in this room were genuinely scared at this point? I did that. I helped you get scared there. Fuck yeah. Awesome. We did this together. Fuck yeah. So now you're building an ego. And that ego is what you use to advertise, right? Because that's what people are attaching themselves to. This confident motherfucker knows that he can make something great that I'm going to like next time. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Or they're basing it on your work and going, I know this is this guy's work and I know he's really good at what he does. So next time I'm going to go watch his fucking movie until he makes two or three pieces that suck and then he falls off that pedestal. So that's confidence and ego. Asshole is when you start to truly believe it. <laughs> it's when you start to truly believe that you're the shit and it's you forget how and why you believe that you're the shit. You forget about the confidence building. You forget about how the ego got started. You forget about the folks that helped put you in that situation. You forget about how lucky you were to get into those spots. You forget humility. You become an asshole. And it's tough. That's like the, it's a, it's a really hard game between being confident, having an ego, a healthy ego, and then not turning into fucking, you know, hide, you know, Jekyll and Hyde shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's tough, dude. And you run the fine line all the time. And then when you're dealing with folks that are selling you, or if you're dealing with management or if things go well, you know, I've had, <laughs> I've had management companies call and just applaud me on the phone. And I'm like, what are you guys clapping about? <laughs> you know? Oh, congratulations. This happened. Nothing actually happened. Stop fucking clapping. Like, whenever I talk to people, I have to consistently remind myself through self-deprecation that it's kind of bullshit. And, and more often than not, people are like, you're so great. You go, yeah, whatever, man. Not a big deal. That whatever is you just reminding yourself not to be a dick and not believing it. Because as soon as you believe it, it changes everything. It changes your relationships. It changes your work. It changes changes your quality of work. You know, you don't want to become a Lars from Metallica. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a, it's a really tough, delicate balance, I think. And I, I sure as shit don't have it figured out. Like, I'm still fucking trying to figure that shit out. And there are multiple times where if you have close friends around you, they'll call you on that. If you have enemies around you, they'll falsely call you on that. So then you start to become insecure about being confident in something because someone else is jealous about the fact that you're confident about it. And so then you have to sort of navigate those waters and go, is this legitimate? Am I actually being a dick or is this person just pissed off at me? You know what I mean? So it's this weird social fucking game. And, and that our business is a social business, you know? 
It's all about the dicks, assholes, pussies. (laughs) Was that good? Was that a good rant, Liam? (laughs) That was a good rant. Yeah. That was a good rant. You could have quoted uh, Team America World Police. Oh, yeah? What was the quote? And I feel like it would have summed it up pretty well, too. What's the quote? It's, uh, uh, pussies hate dicks because dicks fuck pussies. (laughs) But you know what else dicks fuck? What? They fuck assholes. <laughs> and everyone hates assholes because they just want to shit over everything. But sometimes pussies become so full of shit themselves that they become assholes. <laughs> and they need to... And that's the issue is because assholes just want to shit over everything and they want to shit over all the pussies. And that's why pussies need dicks to fuck assholes. I love fucking Trey Parker. <laughs> It's just good. It's good. I mean that. I mean that's that's kind of a, a destruction of it, and I kind of, I myself kind of shat all over that um, that quote because that wasn't completely accurate to it. But I get what you're saying is that it's the essential. Once you become full of your own shit, that's when you become an asshole. Yeah, but you have to become full of your own shit to a certain extent. So you just you all you have to understand that everything we're doing is false, right? Like, movies aren't real. Like, the shit that we're creating, like, that scared feeling you get when you walk out of a movie, we manufactured that. That's what, you, that's what you're getting. But it's part of the fun. That's part of it, is that you're not in danger, but you can feel like you're in danger. And that that's, that's, takes a lot of craft, takes a lot of art. Same thing with, like, uh, convincing a crew to work with you, convincing an actor to work with you. I've had entire episodes about that, where you have to have that confidence in yourself. And that actor has to feel that confidence. That confidence needs to be infectious. And so when I started this bit uh, talking about fundraising, I intentionally started that intro the way I did, telling you confidently all the things that you will get if you finance one of my pieces. Confidently. Now, I'm not being a dick about it. I'm not saying I'm the best. I'm not saying that I'm going to change your fucking life. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm just saying that rest assured that I have enough confidence in what it is that I do and my experience to deliver. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm, I, I confidently say that. I can fucking deliver. It's not because I'm better than you. It's just that I've spent the time to figure it out. So I know what I'm doing. And whenever you ask anybody for money, whether you're asking your dad for a loan or you're asking uh, your bank for a loan, they are going to sit across from you and they're going to ask you those questions. And you have to confidently say, Fuck yeah, man. I got this. No big deal. You know? 100%, man. So, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that, that is, that, if you can figure that out, you're, you're winning the war. If you can figure out how to be relatable, how to be respected, how to be inspiring, and how still to be humble, you're winning the war, man. And it's, you can see it from the best of the best. And there's so many uh, filmmakers and actors and, and artists that I really respect. And you see them fight with that sometimes. And you see that turmoil that happens where like someone may become a drama queen or there may be some sort of thing that goes on and they're just battling. And, and we're all human, so you can't, you can't you know, be perfect all the time. And I've told stories on the show like, I, I shouldn't, but I've told stories on the show of me being an asshole and how I've been an asshole before. 
and 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 then the repercussions of that and if you're a fucking sociopath and you can't actually see what it is that you're doing and how it affects people around you then you know that they'll make a serial killer netflix doc on you later but um most people have the opportunity to sort of look around and, and see how their words affect other folks i mean for years i even still i'm one of those guys that's like i enjoy getting reactions out of people that's what i do i enjoy scaring people and i'll say things to get reactions out of folks because i enjoy that honest reaction like i like that but i also have to constantly check myself and be like what are my words actually saying and what what, what am i saying here um because like this podcast i i like i was saying last week i feel like a 15 year old that found his dad's gun every time i get on a microphone where it's just like jesus christ am i gonna blow my face off with this thing um so anyway, that was a long tangent into a hole. We've been going, it's two hours and 15 minutes. Um, That's right, people. This was supposed to be a short in and out. 30-minute <laughs> adventure, in and out. See, that's because Liam's a trigger. He knows how to trigger me, and I know how to trigger him. And what happens is that we trigger rants. That's why, you're, that's why I like having you on the show, buddy. Is that appreciate it. We get some rants done. Do we, do we do anything successful here? Did we teach any solid lessons? Did we give any insight? Or we just was I just talking loud at you? Well, I feel like there was a majority of us just talking loudly. <laughs> but, but hopefully some of that loud talking was beneficial. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been two hours. What I got out of this was, don't be a robot, but I'm a robot. <laughs> No, just download Fuck. some new download that new firmware. Download that Confidence two point oh. Well, that's the that fucking in. issue, man. It's the uh, it's the twenty twenty one edition got pushed back. The twenty twenty one update got pushed back because of the whole fucking twenty twenty bullshit. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So we're having an issue with that. But no, no. Realistically, like I I think that's brilliant, and you kind of solidified stuff that I was sitting there going like. I knew that we needed to tell a story with the fundraising. Yep. I knew that we needed to uh, to bring people in and kind of give them a behind-the-scenes sort of thing. But in addition to that, it, it's just people need to connect to the work and to the artists. I didn't know what sort of specifics I was going to do to get there. And full disclosure, some of the stuff that we originally uh, uh, brainstormed is just a bunch of bullshit. Exactly what you expect to see from a student film fundraiser type thing, a proposal. And it just, it didn't excite me. And I'm the one fucking running it. Uh, that doesn't mean that I there weren't aspects of it that I was excited about, but there were just some stuff that I was just like, well, this is fucking lame. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do this. But, which is why I want to have this conversation with you. Well, dude, I think you got to... Look, let's wrap this up. I think you have yeah. a good uh, idea, and I think I'm curious about it, a lot of stuff, so I'm fascinated, so I'm definitely going to follow what it is that you're doing because I, I want to see if you take my advice, motherfucker. No, I want to see, see where it ends up going. So, uh, No, definitely. I, I, dude, and I think it's totally fine if you... I think the audience is also going to be fascinated, so I think you... I don't know if you have any of the info yet, but eventually share all the info for this project. Let's get everybody that's listening to the show. Let's see if Liam, the robot, pulls it together. And uh, 
and the, the sense of being a successful campaign. And if it's not a successful campaign, I think you should come back on here and talk about why it's not. Oh, absolutely. I Full disclosure, and listen, this is something that I, I'm saying on air. This was not prompted. This was not uh, discussed beforehand. So everyone here, I'm excited to see what Mike's actual reaction to this is. But what I would love is to bring on the director and uh, possibly some other creatives onto the show to discuss this and the project and see what happened there. Because I think I agree with you. I think that the story is really fucking cool. And I, I think that it would be really cool to have this discussion uh, on a place that we can look back on. And, and I do want to, uh, I, I, if anything, I want to come back on the show and discuss how it fucking went. Okay. I'm not against it. Yeah. I'm not against it. I'll have to, it'll be, as long as, as long as you prep me on the glass eye thing, because I'll feel like Mike Myers with the mole if, if I'm not allowed to talk about it. Be like, mole, 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 mole. Yeah. Other than that, yeah. As long as that, as long as that works, then yeah, I think that's good. And no, absolutely. I think we should wrap this up. Um, I agree. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Thank you, Liam, for coming on the show. And, Thanks uh, for having me. One of the things I love about uh, this show is that uh, everything that I talk about isn't the law. And uh, I like it when you come on the show and, and contest things, especially when you strongly believe it. Um, and uh, I believe that you are going to be successful in this business. I've said that before you went there. So I think that uh, keep pushing, keep doing it. And uh, I'm happy that you're sharing your experience with a lot of folks because I don't want to come off as the guy that's like, if you go to film school, you're fucked. Uh, I, that's not the case. No, that was you last week. Yeah, well, you know. Not, not you this week. No, uh, it... And because somebody has to do it, I think you too are going to be successful. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's the end of the show. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, next Tuesday, we have a great lineup of guests on the way. I have been queuing things up for Liam to do a lot of post-production on. Um, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode, uh, the barbecue episode. Uh, there's a bunch more food episodes coming on the way. I know you guys are like, but this is a filmmaker show. Yeah, no, it's not. And uh, thanks. Thanks for being and thanks for listening. Anything to say, Liam? Yep, more food coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. Bye, guys.